Howdy, howdy do, Who fans, and welcome to the Big Blue Box Podcast. My name's Gary. My name's Adam. And welcome to episode 264. One day, I shall come back. Yes, I shall come back. Until then, there must be no regrets, no tears, no anxieties. Just go forward in all your beliefs and prove to me that I am not mistaken in mine. Our lives are different to anybody else's. That's the exciting thing. Nobody in the universe can do what we're doing. I've reversed the polarity of the neutron flow, so the TARDIS should be free of the force field now. You may be a doctor, but I'm the doctor. The definite article, you might say. The trouble with time travel is one never seems to find the time. Change, my dear. And it seems on a moment too soon. Unlimited rice pudding, etc., etc. I am the doctor. For now, for this moment, I am the doctor again. The ground beneath our feet is spinning at a thousand miles an hour. And the entire planet is hurtling around the sun at 67,000 miles an hour. And I can feel it. We're falling through space, you and me. People assume that time is a strict progression of cause to effect. But actually, from a non-linear, non-subjective view, more like a big ball of wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey stuff. I could be a curator. I'd be great at curating. I'd be the great curator. <laughs> I could retire. Yeah. I'm the doctor. I've lived for over 2,000 years. And not all of them were good. I've made many mistakes. And it's about time that I did something about that. Bit of adrenaline, dash of outrage, and a hint of panic knitted my brain back together. I know exactly who I am. I'm the Doctor. Sorting out fair play throughout the universe. Howdy, 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 do fans. Hope you've all had a cracking week, that you've all stayed safe and that you're healthy and that you've all managed to do something. something Doctor, Doctor, who Doctor Who related. Related. Yeah. 264. Absolutely. Welcome back. Long-time listeners, waving to people that have just jumped on board. It's good to have you uh, aboard the TARDIS, the old big blue box. <laughs> In a week where we've seen lockdown continue, we are still not trapped, but you know, we have to stay put for a bit longer. Can you imagine when they lift it, everyone's just going to be like caged animals, like running into the street, like, why? It's going to be like that scene in Utopia where they're all just running. <laughs> <laughs> well, apparently the old social distancing stuff is going to be the norm for a while. Yeah. They reckon. So kiss goodbye all the cool cons and events we had planned. I, can't I think see so, any, uh, Yeah, I think so. I can't see any mass gatherings going on anytime soon. It's funny because I don't know if you do this, but when, when I'm watching like Doctor Who, for example, and I'll sit there and I subconsciously start thinking in my head, oh, I'd love to meet them. I hope they do a convention. All right. I bet he'd be good to meet. And then um, it just occurs to me that a lot of the ones I want to meet are of a certain age and probably the chances of actually meeting them now is going to be way off, yeah. if at all. Because, yeah. Um, yeah, like you said, with the social distancing, I don't think anybody of a certain past certain age is going to want to do a con for obvious reasons you know because it's the, the you know the older sort of person that's more acceptable to getting it so you know people like tom baker for example i i, I sort of wouldn't want tom to do a convention because i just wouldn't want the risk 
of anything happening to Tom. Do you know what I mean? So it's like people like that. I just think we're not going to see them at a convention. I don't think. No, I don't. Um, I don't think so, bud. No. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, although like the lockdown's continuing, and you know it's not the best and all that, we have seen a really cool side of Who fandom over the last month or so. Yes, say. that's true. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that Who fandom has been at its best for a while because since series eleven, since series eleven, yeah, when Jody started. There seems to have there. There was always, as any you know, anyone that's been involved in in Who fandom for years now will know. There's all, there's always a bit of a to and throw. There's always people that like stuff and don't like stuff and all that. But for some reason, when Jody took over, that was such a big turning point in the show. Obviously, mm. and fandom almost imploded. Really, there was just such a massive chasm of of a, a split of opinion and so on. And people were being really, really crappy to each other for a while. Yeah. But it feels like we've come back, we've kind of steered the ship back on a, on a decent course now over the last month or two. Fandom really has been like the best that I've seen it and witnessed for a long time. So yeah. We've nice. had some amazing content come out since, you know, since the lockdown, you know, the, um, the little chapter that Russell wrote uh, a couple of months back, what was it? The, the prequel to Rosa or the, Oh yeah, yep. the little yeah. Yep. You know, we've we've had things like that. That which we, I'm thinking, would we ever have seen that? It was what was it? It's the last chapter, something he wrote for Dot Two magazine, wasn't it? That never got published for one reason or another. Um, I can't think what it was now. It was the. <laughs> but, I'm sure it was the the. It was either a prequel or a sequel to the first or final. I said chapter. Rosa as well, and I meant Rose, of course, not Rosa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but no, yeah, things like that. And Emily Cook is it Emily Cook? That's been arranging yes. the uh, the watch alongs and stuff. She's done a great job of uh, of getting all that stuff going on. And then we've had things like uh, a lot more content creators have been doing live streams and and extra stuff. And there's virtual pub quizzes going on and all these all these cool things. And it just it seems does... to be bringing everyone together. It's great. Yeah, I was going to say that is the that is the plus side of it. It really has sort of brought because we're sort of all trapped inside. Um, you know, it, this whole idea of having everyone getting together at a certain time and watching a certain episode and people are jumping in zoom chats to watch them all together. And it, it definitely has, um, you know, brought a big side of the fandom back together again, I think. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Which is a great thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that prequel to Rose, I think was the time war, wasn't it? Doctor Who. That's the time it. War. Yeah. That's it. There we go. Which was really good. Cause I think it was uh, the mothball that put the, it was it's supposed to be published in, in Doctor Magazine. I think Russell wrote it, and then the mothball was like, oh, I'm actually planning something to do with the Time War, so can you not publish it or something? And Russell was like, well, that's you sleeping on the sofa uh, or something like that, because um, those two obviously are really good friends now, aren't yeah. they? So, um, But, yeah, it's great that that finally got published. It was a really nice – I did read it when it was when he put it on um, Instagram. Lovely it was. He's the man, isn't he, Russell? He is, he is the man. He definitely, he really is actually. I'm so glad that he's sticking around on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, I may as well just say before you ask me what I've been doing, because I know you did it as well. We did the, he did the tweet along for the Stolen Earth Journey's oh, yeah. End. Yeah, yeah. The other night. Um, I haven't watched that for years, you know. It's <laughs> so long since I watched that episode. And um, that was probably one of the best tweet along. So he had, you know, Russell was tweeting along. David Tennant was tweeting along. Although to be fair, he was mostly just watching. I think it was Georgia, his wife. Um, That's, yeah, she was. Yeah. Posting pictures. She's really funny on Twitter as well, isn't she? She kept posting pictures of him, like with glasses of wine, saying he is. He is watching it. He is here, you know. And uh, I'm topping up his glass, and 
you know, and all this sort of stuff. But it's great to have David on Twitter. He did comment a few things, didn't he? Um, yeah. And Catherine, yeah. of course, I cannot forget, he was with, Catherine Tate was also tweeting along. Now, she was funny. I mean, straight away she put something like, oh, I love this episode. Is this the one where I'm wearing a wedding dress? And we're like, no, Catherine. You know, she's, just, <laughs> she's just brilliant. I love Catherine Tate. Um, so, yeah, that was a great tweet along. And I know you were joined in as well. We were both on on twitter for that one weren't we it was great yeah yeah a load of people um i say hello a few people said uh they didn't they didn't hear from us very much and they haven't heard from us very much during these tweet alongs and whatnot and um i think you and i've got a similar opinion to this in in that because we do because we do the podcast each and every week we have to say have to like it's a chore we have to watch doctor who every single week and on yeah. top of that we normally watch something to do with doctor who or the spin-offs or whatever or classic who yeah just on our own anyway without even having to do the podcast and then when life is normal we're off at conventions and doing that stuff and and i manage the writing team and the website and all that stuff so a, a big chunk of our life is doctor who for a lot of the time so every now and then it's just lovely to not have to <laughs> think about something from a from a podcaster's point of view or a YouTuber's point of view or something like that. Sometimes it's just nice just to relax and enjoy everything as a fan and mm. not feel like we have to contribute massively to, to what's going on. There have been some people that have done that and that's all good. Some people have live streamed alongside it and or they've they've done um uh they've uh sort of Instagram live streamed or whatever it what you want to do. Yeah. alongside it um but yeah i don't know about you mate but it's just for these watch-alongs with the tweet-alongs it's just been lovely just to sit back and and watch that stuff and read twitter and and just yeah. appreciate it as a fan and not have to think oh i have to be tweeting because it's for the podcast or your youtube channel or something yeah absolutely i was gonna say i there's a couple of reasons um i mean i do tweet a couple of things during it but i i mainly just sit there and read like because the thing is you normally have like i said even for that one you had about five or six people from the show to try and follow on Twitter. So they have the hashtag, but with the hashtag, you still get everyone's comments as well. So to try and just read like David's, Catherine's and Russell's, you sort of have to keep flicking between their Twitter. So that in itself is enough to keep you occupied. So I don't really have time to sort of tweet you between that. Plus I'm normally watching along with the who addicts because <laughs> they, they normally do a live stream. So I'm normally watching them, chatting with them, trying to read the comments on Twitter, trying to watch the episode. So I don't, I, I sort of get to the end of it. I think, Oh, I haven't tweeted anything. Um, because I've sort of just been, like you said, immersed in all that's going on with it. Um, and what I tend to do is just put a tweet at the end saying like, you know, that was great and whatever, something like that. So I just sort of normally put a tweet out at the end. But, but yeah, that's the reason. It's normally because I'm sort of involved in about four or five different things. And like you said, and I just want to sort of be immersed in it rather than just sort of tapping away on my phone. Plus, so there's so many people comment as well. I think it just sort of gets lost, doesn't it? So it's like, some people, um, I didn't know this, but Twitter has a limit of how many tweets you can like or something. I, I had no idea about this or how many tweets you can tweet in a certain time space. So some people have been like, oh, Twitter's suspended me because I've liked too many <laughs> tweets. Like, what? what? Um, but yeah, that's that's the other reason. It's just because I'm just normally just like, you know, I just want to immerse yeah. in the whole website. And, I, and, and also, for example, this particular two-parter, uh, we haven't reviewed, I don't think. Have we? <laughs> I always question myself when I say that. I don't um, think we've done this one. So again, I don't want to give too much away because, you know, we like to we like to sort of shield our thoughts from each other, don't we? So that it's um, fresh when we do review these on the podcast. So 
don't think we've reviewed Journey's End. We have not, End. no. No. So again, you know, I like to keep a bit of that back so that, you know, so that you don't know what I think of it and I don't know what you think of it. Although I think on this one, <laughs> maybe we do. We probably know. do on this one. I get one. a feeling we might yeah. be on the same page on this one. But anyway, uh, so yeah, there's lots of reasons not that. But I, I just love the tweet-alongs. I think they're great. They're yeah, they really, are great. Really good fun. Um, yeah. do bring you mentioned the pub quiz as well, the virtual pub quiz course, and i did virtual. that last night um so the dot two virtual pub quiz uh, which our good friends adam and callum have set up um becoming really popular and uh, i was in that last night i don't know where i came i wasn't last <laughs> but i certainly wasn't first <laughs> i think i was in the middle somewhere um yeah that's really they're really good fun so i did that last night and we had a special guest we had sophie aldred popped in to give us a question which was pretty amazing oh nice Cool. Actually, I'll see if you can get it, although I can't remember the answer. Ah, oh. well, the question was, what is Ace's real name? I'm like, oh, well, that's easy. Got it. Dorothy McShane, right? No. But Dorothy's got a middle name, mm-hmm. which I've forgotten. But if you didn't get the middle name, you only got half a point. And I was like, oh, no, I didn't know, didn't know Ace had a middle name. What? <laughs> so, yeah, a bit tricky that. I can't think what it is, but... um. There'll be listeners screaming at us with the answers. So stuff like that, anyway. That sounds really... It was cool for Sophie to drop in and do that, though. Yeah, it was. They yeah. had... Bonnie Langford did one last week. Um, they've got Katie Manning next week. It's brilliant. They just play in the clip mm-hmm. into the, into a Zoom chat. It's really good fun. So me and you are going to do it next week, aren't we? We're doing a team. We're doing the podcast team. Yes. Yep. Yeah. So that's going to be fun. So I need to get uh, genned up because some of the questions, I tell you, there was a lot where you, it's right on the tip of your brain. <laughs> and it's like, oh, no, I know this. So the two of us, hopefully, together. We'll be uh, fine, yeah. Although we won't re- remember anyone's names, will we? If we get any names around, we'll be absolutely... Yep, I was just about to say, anything <laughs> to do with people's either character or <laughs> actors' <on> names, we'll <laughs> be screwed. Although, yeah. I do, although I do know Ace's full name. What is it? Go on, go on. Yeah, What's her middle name? Gail. Gail, that's it, yeah. yeah. Dorothy, Dorothy, Dorothy Gail McShane. McShane, yeah, yeah. There we go. Yeah. There we go. So that's all I've been doing, really. It's just, yeah, interacting on socials, virtual pub quizzes. That's been me, really. What yeah, you been same, mate. Yeah, exactly the same. Yeah. yeah, just watching along the tweet-alongs and all that stuff. Mm. That's it, mate. Which have been good. What's the next one? They're doing Family of Blood, uh, the Tenant one. I think that might, by the time this podcast go out, I think that might have just happened, actually. That's the next one. Yes, I think, I think so. Yeah. yeah, and also by the time this podcast goes out, there's we would have also seen the. So a lot of the actors are taking part in this charity show tonight. So we're recording oh, this yeah. on Thursday, the twenty third of April, and the BBC of. So by the time you listen to this, it would have gone, but they were doing this thing called the Big Night In, mm. which is a, a charity thing, and. Uh, which is like a collaboration between children in need and comic relief. And it, 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 it went from seven till 10, but loads of doctors, loads of actors are, are in on it. So Tom Baker, Davison, Colin Baker, McCoy, McGann, Tennant, Matt Smith, Capaldi, Joe Whittaker, and Joe Martin. Wow. Are all making an appearance for this, which would be really cool. And then I think David Tennant is also doing a sketch later on in the evening with Catherine Tate. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Because she's going to do her schoolgirl character Lauren because uh, they did that and the the teacher's going to be played by David Tennant they did this already 
They did, yeah. In what in her series years ago. So that'd be cool to see that. And I think Matt Lucas is doing something else with David Williams. But so that's gonna be cool tonight. I'm gonna to check that out. So that's seven PM. So we'll let you guys know next week what we thought of that. But that's really yeah. cool that they've drafted in a load of a load of doctor actors to do stuff for that. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I'm wondering what it's what it's gonna be like actually. But um, yeah, I'm looking forward to watching that. Yes, yes. Mm. So in terms of today's show for 264, we've got no merch. There's still, it's like tumbleweed out there for merch. Darling's hat's just loving it, isn't he? He's just getting, you know, just getting to not do any work every week. Do you know what? He was uh, cheeky the other day. What's he asking he was for cheeky. a furlough contract now? <laughs> well, <laughs> we've, had a, we've had really good weather, haven't we? The sun's been lovely. Oh, it's been fantastic. Yeah. When I was up, so in my office, I overlooked the back garden and it's lovely and sunny out there. I saw him out there. I thought, what's he doing out there? And I didn't think anything of it. I did some work a couple of minutes later. looked out the window. I saw a few little tentacles coming out. Mm. I thought, he's sunbathing out there. <laughs> he's bloody sunbathing. The cheek of it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I hope he's wearing sun cream. Well, that's a good Otherwise, off. he'll look like an old prune by the end of the <laughs> I didn't want to shower him in front of the neighbours. No. So I just threw a stone at him from the back door. <laughs> and he swiftly buggered off back in the shed, so he's all good. But yeah, bloody sunbathing. He is loving life at the minute. That He's Dalek. loving it. He's yeah. got it very easy. Yeah. He's so, going to do some cleaning around the house. <laughs> he already does. Yeah, don't, that's, none yeah, of that's get an changed. apron on him. Yeah. <laughs> so none of that's, uh, yeah, it's going, no merch <laughs> to speak of, which is a shame. But we've got a couple of bits of news to go through. And then we are on to our review of Kinder. 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 Kinder Kinder. Kinder Kinder. Before we get mm-hmm. on to all of that stuff, though, remember to subscribe to the show in whatever podcast app you listen to your podcasts on. There's links on our website, bigblueboxpodcast.co.uk. You can go off and, and drop us up there. And if you love the show or you like the show or you tolerate the show, if you've got a minute to leave a, a review, that would be awesome because that helps us out loads and loads. We're on the socials too, Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. And we've got a bunch of really cool articles that go out each and every week from our writing team on the website who cover everything from big finish reviews to editorials about classic who subjects or convention roundups when they're going on obviously all that stuff so go and check that out and also check out my co-host youtube channel the geeks handbag yes indeed indeedy so shall we land this and do a wee bit of news (laughs) go on then So the first thing I thought would be good to, to put in here is a, as a result of the the watch along that we had at the weekend for Stolen Earth Journey's End was, remember last week we recorded and we read out the tweet from Russell that said, this is going to be the, like the best thing he's ever done and this is going to be amazing. And yes. you said very correctly at the time, you said, well, this better be good because he's bigged it up to be <laughs> quite the event. So along with the coolness anyway of just watching along and have those guys tweet and stuff. He did also release this, um, this lovely little, uh, video, little episode, which was called farewell, Sarah Jane. And it was essentially just the, the, the closing, like the closing chapter, if you like, to the Sarah Jane adventures where mm-hmm. she's already, we, we've already gone through the process of her passing away, the character that is. And now it's the, everybody has sort of descended to sort of pay their respects and say hello and goodbye essentially to everybody. And it was, 
narrated by I forget the the lad's name. I think it's Jacob Dudman. Jacob, yeah, I think Dudman, that's a, yeah. yeah. Uh, who's a really really good. Um, is he the guy that does the that like the bang on Matt Smith and David Tennant voice? That's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah, he's got a really really cool narration voice. Anyway, it's Russell wrote this, and uh, he's basically saying, you know, everybody turned up and went back to Bannerman Road, and and then it cuts to like these little bits where the actors from the show have done their little bits and uh yeah i was in bits mate after watching this i don't know about you god oh, so i still am to be honest it was so be- it was absolutely so beautifully written um just a lovely lovely send-off um and i think what really hit home with this was that you could tell so everyone that had recorded a little video clip and then they'd edited them all together like katie manning and um who else we had in there, you know, all the attic crew, you could sort of tell that although they're talking about Sarah Jane, that they're actually speaking about Liz Sladen as well. You could just see and hear it in there. You know, it wasn't like a performance. The the words just were so heartfelt. Um, it was just beautiful. And I, I was surprised by it because I thought when Russell announced that he was going to be releasing this farewell Sarah Jane, I thought it was going to be like the Rose um prequel thing that we talked about earlier where it'd just be like a script okay. that you go online and read and i thought so i wasn't expecting this sort of mini <laughs> little episode for want of a better word and it, it yeah it was it's just beautiful it really is and it, it stayed with me for for hours after it's still with me now Do you know what i mean i was like i was sat in the garden about a couple of hours after watching it i was still thinking about it i was just sat there thinking god that i loved that um yeah, it was very emotional, just beautiful, very beautiful. And what I love about it is the the end where he says, you know, it's sort of saying is, you know, maybe Sarah isn't passed on. Maybe mm-hmm. she's, maybe the doctor turned up after all and took her away and all that sort of stuff. Just the whole thing was just so beautifully written. Yeah, really, really nice treat. And I, it does make me wonder again, I know this lockdown's been awful, but is this, you know, would we have ever got this if it wasn't for the lockdown? You know, is this a sort of, you know, all these sort of good things that are coming out of the lockdown as well. But yeah, this is a real treat, an absolute treat. This yeah. was, mate, yeah. And it, it's not me for six, like you. It really, yeah, it yeah. really has. If anyone hasn't watched this, um, just go and watch it. It's it, it's just brilliant. It really is, yeah. Just it to is. see the whole Attic crew back as well. You know? Yeah, we get to see. We don't see the actor who, the actress who played Maria, because no, I noticed that. Does yeah. she get mentioned though? Because she does. Don't, yes. Yeah. So I think the Maria and her dad were on a video screen from America. That's they, right, of yeah, course. Yeah, they were chasing something around Seattle or something, some alien mm-hmm. or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and it is it's lovely because in a way it's a lovely kind of goodbye enclosure and stuff yeah <sighs> yeah i mean it just goes to show doesn't it russell really got really really does um when he when he's as a writer he's just i just don't think you can match him when it comes to doctor who just his words are just so heartfelt it's unbelievable yeah but it's also another like the rani goes through this whole thing like like you said the whole thing about Sarah Jane, she didn't actually die. She was, you know, the doctor turned up, you know, let's go on, you know, another adventure and so on. Yeah. But it cuts to a bit where um, Jacob then says, well, we're just waiting for the next one now. So the house has sort of been left just to sit and sort of do nothing. Oh, that end shot. 
Mm-hmm. Oh man, there, there was so much I took away from it that I loved. I mean, not not only just all the sort of goodbyes and memories and all that they brought up, but also when they talked about Ace being at the funeral and walking off with K9, I was like, guys, this is just <laughs> amazing. And there's a spin-off waiting to happen. Ace and K9. I mean, just the perfect, you can see it in your mind's eye, can't you? Like Ace at the funeral, she walks off with K9 and then she's with the attic crew and she gets all back together and it's just, yeah, carries on the adventure and Sarah Jane's out there somewhere with a doctor. It's just all the stuff that Russell managed just to conjure in your mind that just takes you to the next level. Um, amazing stuff. Yeah. But I, I love the thought of that. Just, just thought it was beautiful. And obviously to see, um, I've forgotten his name. What's the son called? The Bane son. Oh, Luke. <laughs> Sorry, the, uh, the emotions got to me. Luke, you know, just to hear him when he came on screen and was talking as well. I think that was the bit that I'd already gone to pieces by then. But when he come on and started talking to his mum, <sighs> man, that just, yeah, took me over the edge. But yeah, just really, really, I just can't say it enough. Just a really, really beautiful send off from yeah. Russell. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> you don't need to have seen any of, of Sarah Jane to appreciate it. It's just, uh, no, it's cool. So we'll link to that in the show notes, but yeah, definitely go and check that out. It's awesome. Will you, I, I know this is a, wouldn't have, I'm glad this didn't happen, but part of me when I first watched this was kind of expecting David Tennant to, t- cause I get thinking, <laughs> obviously the doctor's got to be there. Like it, there's no way the doctor wouldn't be there. And I just kind of thought like David might turn out. I don't know why I'm glad he didn't. Cause I think it's great that we, she, possibly goes off with a doctor and it could be any doctor it could be Pertwee it could be Matt because you know it could be uh, Jody it could be any doctor um but I, yeah I don't know why I just kept thinking because that was the thing every time someone new popped up you're thinking god they've got who else have they managed to get in this they seem to have got everybody in it um because I I should imagine when the actors were approached they probably jumped at the chance like, oh we're doing a tribute to this later you know who's gonna say no to that come on of course you're gonna want to be a part of it so but yeah, every time somebody new come up on screen, I kept thinking, oh, who would they say? Is, is the doctor going to, is there going to be a doctor at the end of this? You know, but, um, but I think it was just right. The way they did it, absolutely perfection. No, it was great. Yeah. 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 So yeah, go and check that out. Right. So moving on before me and Gary turn into blubbering messes all over again. Uh, the Doctor Who Appreciation Society, otherwise known as Dwas, they do, uh, or they they used to do a magazine called TARDIS, which uh, was last published in 2003. Well, it's coming back, and they're redoing a new issue. So I think it's going to be three issues a year. Um, so if you're a member of Dwas, you'll be able to get this magazine uh, discount. If you're not, you'll be able to just go onto their website and publish it anyway. And uh, just to give you a bit of blurb about it, uh, it says the world of Doctor Who fandom has changed beyond recognition since we last published. And nowadays there are very few printed fan magazines. Celestial Toymaker remains the staple of Duas's own output, giving air to a wide range of views. So that's the Celestial Toy Room is the magazine they currently do if you're a Duas member. So this is going to be sort of an additional one to run alongside that. Now, I think I need to read the thing. So I think this is going to be is it going to be a color magazine? I think so. Yes, I, I think so. so. I was reading. I was reading because there's quite a lot of write-up about this. So it started as a hand-duplicated title. Uh, da, 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 da. Yes, well, this is when we need Rick on. We need to get Rick from the Dwas. We do. Yeah, on to tell us all about it. But yes, this does sound very cool. Anyway, I just like the fact that they're bringing this back because 
the thing with Duras is obviously, you know, being the Doctor Appreciation Society, they really put in the work on these magazines, and they're always they like they always get really cookie, kooky, kooky artwork, really nice <laughs> artwork covers and stuff like that. So um, they're always really good. So uh, yeah, this is interesting. It, it is, yeah. It looks really cool, and it's always nice to have uh, stuff because I imagine when these were when was this last out? It was. 2003 2000 yeah so it would have been really cool back then to have uh, i mean as a doctor who fan it's it's great anyway so to have something called the tardis magazine tardis magazine mm. that's just so awesome so the fact that they're bringing this back um it's just really cool and they've got yeah. a, a new editor to oversee it so it should be good yeah it's just nice to have something else in in print sort of coming out if you like to go alongside i mean yeah he's right we don't get a lot now do we dot two mag of course. Of course. Yep. Yeah. And Celestial Toy Room is a, is another great publication they do for their you know, for the members and you can buy that online as well. So yeah. Yes. Very good. Very good guys. Glad to see that coming back. Yep. And uh, the Dwas also if you're a member if you're a member no, I think they give it away for free anyway. They do this thing called the Cosmic Mask uh, magazine as well, which is great. And in the last issue that went out a few days ago, there's a review by me in there. Of, Good Lord. of all of the Doctor Who on BritBox stuff. So it gives you a rundown on how to find certain things on BritBox that's not apparent when you first log in to the Doctor Who bit and and a rundown of all the picture quality and sound, all that lot. So shameless plug for my article in there. But. <laughs> so the Cosmic Mask uh, <laughs> magazine is also very, very cool. And I believe yes. that's free. That's like a PDF online thing. So, uh, But yeah, the Dwas just doing the business as always. And you can find more details over at dwasonline.co.uk. But they've no, they've not released any pricing or when it's going to be out at the moment. But I'm, I'd imagine it'll be in the next few months. I would, I would imagine. Absolutely. Go and check out Dwas. Go and check it out. Uh, right, dude. That's news. No merch, as we've said. So, review time, bud. Yes. On to Fluffy Five, a Fluffy Five story, and this week it is Kinder. Mara inhabit the dark places of the inside. Wherever the wheel turns, there is suffering, delusion, and death. <laughs> now the Mara turns the wheel of life. With my help, you could become all powerful. I am a Mara. Do not resist. I am your strength. For the light on! For the light on! Open the box. I don't think that would be very wise. Open it! I have the power of life and death over all of you! What a banging trailer for Kinder. Fantastic trailer, yeah. Brilliant, love that. Although I was waiting for the line. It wasn't in there. I was waiting for, you can't mend people, can you? I was thinking, <laughs> come on, he's saving it to the end. No. But yeah, great trailer, that. Indeed, yeah. <laughs> Kinder, then. We haven't done a Davison in a while, I don't think. We haven't, have we? No. God, no. been so, a while. Yeah, so this was first broadcast back in February 1982. Cool. It was written by 
Christopher Bailey, overseen by Eric Saywood, and a couple of other people, I think, uncredited. Uh, it was directed by Peter Grimwade. It's a four-parter, and the story is roughly... Yeah, good the, luck with this one. Yeah, the Doctor <laughs> lands on a planet called Diva Loca, which sounds like a dance, I know. It does. <laughs> and uh, Nissa buggers off very early. She's got the headache. What's that so, with her? So she's got headache. So she buggers <laughs> off in the TARDIS. We don't see her at all. So now it's down to the Doctor, Tegan Adric, to go off on the adventure. Tegan gets... Uh, zombified for a, for a portion of it so it's down to the doctor and adric to to come up with to solve what's going on uh i think so roughly the there's some people there who we suspect might be from earth and they're looking to sort of research and recon planets because the earth has been overpopulated so they need to find out if this is suitable to colonize and all that stuff so while they're investigating and doing all that stuff, they're kind of living side by side with the kinder, which is like this race of of people there that don't speak. They communicate tele- telepathically. And there's also another presence on the planet, the Mara. This overtakes or inhabits Tegan and then it inhabits one of the kinder people. And then all hell breaks loose and the Doctor gets captured, as you would expect in Classic Who. And there's a bit of escape and... Uh, a big snake puppet, and then, and then this is back. <laughs> yeah, and this is that's funny the way she just pops up at the end. Oh, well, anything be happening? No, come on, off we go. <laughs> yeah, that's great. You know, yes, yeah, so we could have used you multiple yeah. times, Nissa, during this story, but there we go. So off the bat, then, dude. One, that, do you know what we never? Re- it's a weird story, Kinder, because mm. nobody ever really speaks about it. <laughs> no, they don't. All the conversations I've ever had with you, other Who fans about the Davison era, for some reason, Kinder just never surfaces as something to to talk about. I don't know. So, what do you reckon, dude? To this one? That's a very good point, actually. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, that is a very good point. I've never thought about that. In, in all the conversations down the pub with Ad and yourself and everyone else. Have we ever mentioned Kinder? We must have. But yeah, you're right. It's not one that pops up very often. And the interesting thing about that is uh, this story. Normally, I, I, I think I get a rough... I've known you a while now, and I get a rough idea in my head of whether you're going to like something or not. I think um, you did catch me by surprise the other week with Utopia, because oh, I yeah. thought you were going to love that. So every now and again, there's a story where I think, oh, okay. But this is one where I cannot call the shots at all on this one. I could not... All the way watching this, I was thinking, I wonder what Gary, you know, I could not tell. And I think that's the same with anyone. Kinder is such an unusual story. And it it's really hard to know if someone's going to like it or love it. So if you would sort of say to someone who hasn't watched Kinder, who's perhaps making the way through the classics, oh, I was going to watch Kinder, would would it be one you'd recommend? Would it be one you'd, would you think, oh, are they going to enjoy it? Um, so, yeah, I've genuinely no idea what you made of this. Um, I'm really looking forward to finding out. But myself, um, I really enjoyed this. I was going to watch it because I remember it. I know it's all studio bound. And once we get into Colour Doctor Who, I always struggle a bit. I always like to see a bit of location. You know, I love my location. So with Pertwee, you know, I just always love it when suddenly they're on location. So studio bound ones from the 80s, I sometimes find a bit hard going because I, I, you know, I, I like to have something to break it up. So... Remembering this is studio band, I thought I'm going to watch this 
two episodes at a time. I'm going to break this up. I'm not going to sort of try and watch it all in one go. Uh, so I put it on on Monday night and I watched the first two and I enjoyed them so much. I thought, oh, I think I might just watch the next one and I'll, maybe I'll leave the other one until tomorrow. Watch the third part. And I thought, oh, well, I'm really enjoying this. I may as well finish up. So I ended up watching it all in one go, which really surprised me because I haven't watched it for ages. Uh, it's Like you said, I kind of forget about it. it. It's not one that I really go to if I'm in the mood to watch a Doctor Who. Um, it is a strange story. I'm still not 100% sure what was going on half the time. Uh, but it really <laughs> drew me in. I, I, I really did enjoy it. I thought it was um, bizarre, strange. Um, I thought the performances in it were fantastic. I was just so surprised how good the cast were in it. Matthew Waterhouse was cracking me up when he was being like, he's like a naughty schoolboy in this. I just love how cross Davison gets with him. Like when he batters the wind chime, he's like, Adric, and he sort of chases him across the set. And when Adric gets in the machine and the doctor's like, oh, for goodness sake, and he's getting all cross with him. And I was in stitches in bits, probably unintentionally. But uh, yeah, I just thought the performances were good. I thought it was really creepy in places. And um, I just got thoroughly engrossed in it. Even though, that I, even though I couldn't understand what was going on half the time, I just really enjoyed it. So, uh, yeah, that's me. It's it's getting a thumbs up, this one. I'm really glad that I rewatched it. I saw a lot more in it than I was expecting. Got a lot more from it than I was expecting. So, yeah, good. It was good. Now then, genuinely, this could go either way. And I've no <laughs> idea because I'm thinking of 4 to Doomsday when I thought you were going to slay it and you loved it. So this could go either way. What do you reckon to it? So... I don't even know what I think about it, oh, no. to be honest with you. I'm, I literally am 50-50 on it. I've got splinters oh, right. on my ass on this one. I'm sitting Ooh. on the fence big time. Okay. I think it's part, part of me, well, half of me thinks, is, is this a stroke of just genius? Is this episode or this story just brilliant? Like There are some moments where I'm watching it, I'm thinking, for a show with zero budget mm. and very... Uh, because you and I and you know, lots of other people have watched so many behind the scenes and we know and we've read about everything that goes on for a show with no budget and all that stuff that was going on. How did they manage to come up with something so brilliant? And then the other half of me thinks it's bloody awful. Yeah. Like some, <laughs> so I'm, I'm, and I, I experienced that as I was watching each of the four parts, I'll be honest with you, as I was watching through each one, I was literally up here at some point thinking, this is really good. This is great. And then within a minute, I'm like, this is awful. This is absolutely <laughs> dreadful. And then within two minutes, I'm like, this is amazing. This is great. So I'll be honest with you, mate. I, I've wrote down four different scores, which we'll get wow. on to later. And they will probably change as we go through it and review it. So mm -hmm. I think this is more uh, out of all the classic who that we've reviewed. I think this is up there with one of my most for me personally, divided opinion on it. I think I'm leaning towards this being just brilliant. I, I'm leaning towards that. Mm. It, yeah. it, it surprised me how much I enjoyed it. It really did. I wasn't expecting a lot from it, I'll be honest with you. And it's weird because it's all set in that forest and could have, if they'd had the budget, could have quite easily been shot in any forest. They could have gone to Black Park and shot. It's weird because I think it's one of the few stories that somehow benefits from being a set it makes it feel more classic who and i don't know i was thinking if this had been filmed because it's all very 
wordy, isn't it? It's a, it's a, there's a lot of talking and, you know, stuff. And I was thinking if this had been shot in a real forest on, you know, film, somehow it might have been more boring. I can't really ex- explain it, but I think if it was just sort of all this talking going on on a real thing, somehow having it in that set, it just feels a bit otherworldly and a bit sort of like a play. And it just, I don't know, somehow makes it more interesting, which I don't think applies to a lot of stories that I can think of. Because it's not an amazing set, but considering everything back in this sort of era of Dot 2, if they had an inside set, it was generally overlit and bright and everything. They've sort of managed to get the lighting pretty good. I mean, it it doesn't look like a real forest by any means, but it looks interesting, Yeah, if you know what I mean. Even the caves and... And there's all this sort of voodoo stuff going on. Now, I, I, I don't know. I just think there is, this is one of those, you know, when you've talked about in the past, classic who having this charm about it. This for me is one of them. Like even the big old snake <laughs> at the end, which people hate. I was sat there thinking, yeah, it looks dreadful, but I love it. I think it's <laughs> uh, the effort that's gone into that blimmin snake. They must've spent hours trying to make it and it looks dreadful, but, but there's sort of something about the fact that they've made this physical prop and like obviously got wires moving it around and the effort they've gone to, to try and create this effect. I, it just all added it to it to me. I just thought, wow, I'm loving this, loving it. But I mean, I'm not saying it's perfect because it is a confusing story. And I think this is not one that you would put on if you were going to try and introduce someone to Dr. Who. Um, but I just loved how the cast were taking it so seriously, you know, like, uh, everyone seems to have sort of found their character and they stick to that character. And, you know, even old um, Sanders, you know, played by Richard Todd, he's, he's playing it a little bit pompous and maybe just a tad over the top, but it's, he's sort of created that character. And for me, it totally works. I don't sort of sit there thinking, God, he's, you know, he's a bit over the top. And it I mean, clearly Matthew Waterhouse did because famously gave him a few little, acting tips while the cameras were um, being set up or something. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> Although a, he denies it, myth, Davison though. always says he he did do it. He he went over and, t- didn't he, he said to Richard Todd, like, you know, you want to be doing it like this, mate. You know. That's a myth, though. That's a... No, Davison says it's, they all swear it's the only person who denies it is Matthew Warhouse. Oh, everyone I, okay. else says, everyone else, especially um, Janet Fielding, she's like, yeah, you know, it, it <laughs> happened. Oh, I always, I always viewed, I, well, I've always, I've only read one thing on that in the past. And that was when, uh, apparently Matthew Waterhouse said to him, the secret of acting is to not look at the camera. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. But then, uh, apparently that was, uh, what you didn't see on what the people don't tell you is that that was just a bit of a joke because one of them had looked directly into the camera on the previous take. Oh, right, yeah. So yeah. I always viewed that that was just a myth, but is that a thing then? He I don't actually... know. On the commentary, they're all... I remember... I mean, I didn't listen to the commentary this time around, but I remember it from the first time I watched it. On the, you know, commentary on the DVD, they're all winding him up about it. And he's, he's like, no, it didn't. I didn't. They're like, yes, you did. You went over and you were telling him how to act. And, you know, the man's been acting since 1930. And you're in a, yeah, they, they're giving him a bit of stick on the commentary from what I remember. Oh, you know, I remember that, but I always thought that was just in jest. I thought they were just oh, winding right. him up, but maybe that's true then. Maybe. Yeah. Crikey. We'll never, we'll never know for, for true. But I mean, I think out of all the cast, probably Matthew's, 
possibly the worst. Thing is, I do love Adric. I, I do this. It's just so bad that I, I love it. It's one of those, like a guilty pleasure to me, Adric. Because mm-hmm. he's, that scene when he's like trying to pretend that he's playing along, you know, he's like, um, yes, I, I want to help you. And it's like, yeah, we know you're doing it. We know you're not really trying to help him, but he does it in such a way that it's, um, he's trying to make it obvious to the viewer that he's not really turned bad. And, his, you know, his acting is not the best in this, but he cracks me up when he's like being this mischievous, all the stuff with him and Davison when they're doing the coin trick and Nadrick's like, oh, he's getting all, they're getting all cross with each other. And I was, I was thinking, this is great. I'm loving all this stuff between those two. It kind of makes me wish he'd stayed on just a little bit longer because I love, um, the fifth doctor and Adric together. I think they make for a really, it's like a dad and child <laughs> sometimes uh, yeah. relationship. It, it really, I, I, I find it um, hilarious, but yeah. Yeah. Adric's a funny old one, isn't he? He is funny. I just keep thinking, you know, every time I watch an Adric story, cause you know what happens to him. It's like, I can't help but feel a bit sorry for him. Actually. I just keep thinking, Oh dear. In like just a couple of episodes time, you'll be, blown to bits and (laughs) and you'll be forgotten by the next story and it's it's kind of sad really but (laughs) (laughs) oh crikey talking of the next story i think the next one along you'd probably recommend to people to get into davison the visitation 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 that's not too uh that's not too difficult to follow along story-wise it's a good story whereas this one as you said there were moments where I thought, ah, oh, I'm not really not sure what I'm watching at this point. It was uh, uh, it was it was a good combination. The one thing that I couldn't, it was only on a second or third viewing that I thought, okay, I think I know what's going on. It was mainly because I got the whole, so that the story plot, when you look at it from above, is relatively, um, relatively simple. Is essentially you've got. The, the humans who want to colonize, you've got the kinder and then you've got the Mara, which is this sort of evil presence mm-hmm. that's, you know, ready to sort of cause mayhem and, and take over the, the planet essentially. So that you kind of get what's going on. But the things that I couldn't get my head around initially was, so the, who was the character the so we had like the older gentleman who was like the sort of, he came across as a bit of like a typical army major sort of guy. Yeah, Sanders. Sanders, Richard Todd, wasn't it? The younger, the younger guy was that Todd. No, no, that was her Hindle, wasn't it? Simon uh, Rouse. Yeah. So, so yeah, Hindle's the one who's going crackers. That's right. Yeah. So yeah, it, that's the bit that I couldn't get my head around initially. I thought, why is he going so, so beep beep crazy? Mm. You know, I just couldn't understand why because the, the way they set the story up is that he's just not getting along with Sanders. The two of them are just, they just clash. They don't get along. You've got Sanders, who's very old, old school. And then you've got Hindle, who's very like up and coming by the book kind of thing. So I just thought their personalities clash. But then you slowly see Hindle descend into just complete madness. Yeah. And hysteria at some point. So I thought, why is he, what's the, why, why is he going so crackers throughout the story? But then you, one, after you've watched it a couple of times, you realize that, the reason why he's going so mental is because he's probably got a combination of cabin fever and the and paranoia because he's convinced, isn't he, that the trees outside are a hostile and you know they'll mm. they'll because the other people that they've sent out 
on expeditions that we don't see because we pick up the story at that point. So previous to the doctor arriving, I think there were two people prior to to um to that who went out and never returned. So he just thinks that the the forest and the trees are are crazy and stuff. And the other thing that I didn't get my head around was why the kinder suddenly obey him. So they've got two of the kinder people locked oh, up yeah. in a cage. And then all of a sudden he looks at one of them in the mirror after he throws a little tantrum, you know, breaking up, you know, he busts, you know, he throws everything in the, in the lab. He looks at one of them in the mirror, but they're completely motionless and expressionless. And and then all of a sudden he can control them and they do what he says. And so, yeah, I think the reason for that, I can explain the last bit. I think he, they think, cause they're a bit primitive or whatever. They think he's trapped them in the mirror. I think he's, there's like a throwaway line where he says that they think their image is trapped in the mirror. They could, I have complete control over them or something. Oh, so I think, uh, I think right, that's right. why. Um, as for his, yeah, I don't know about the cabin fever. I mean, I don't know if it's explicitly explained why. Because I know what you mean. He seems, he really sort of turns when he get, <laughs> when he gets the sort of, um, when he gets the base to himself, doesn't he? Yeah. He's like, I've got control over life and death. And suddenly, suddenly, like he's he's gone completely loopy. Um, I, I just loved all that though because he just seems to get crazier and crazier and, and more unhinged. And I I really liked how it built up over the story and the, and the thing of him cutting out figures out of cardboard <laughs> is a really simple idea. But then there's that bit again. I no, it's not supposed to be funny, but I can't help but laugh. But there's that bit, I think, is it the Doctor that accidentally treads on one? And he's like, what are yeah. you doing? <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry about that. He's like, you, oh, you can't bend people. And I just I just loved it. I thought, God, it's such a simple idea. Um, but he's deranged. He's, he's completely lost the plot. And Davison, to me, really sells that, you know. Um, so this is Davison's first season, isn't it? It must be. Yeah, 19. Um, yeah. Davison really looks... Like, I wouldn't say terrified of him, but he looks proper. Like every time Hindle's kicking off, Davison does look a bit like, "No, I've got to tread a bit carefully here." He's, I don't know, the the sort of interaction between the two really does sell the fact that he's scared of him. He does uh, look you know. terrified of him. He does, yeah, especially points, that yeah. scene when he's pointing the gun at him. Davison's a bit like, "Uh oh, this guy's lost it." Um, <laughs> and I, actually, I know we normally save the doctor to the last, but um, I just want to say this while while I remember. Really, um, a lot of the time people people who don't particularly warm to Davis's doctor, they call him the fluffy fifth and he's lightweight, he's beige and all this. Um, I, I watching Davison's performance in this. I think he's fantastic. He, there's a lot more to Davison. I think the more you watch him, there is, yep. he's actually very touchy in this in places, which I loved. Um, cause it reminded me, I think he's channeling a bit of the first doctor mm. in this. I don't know. Did you think that? Yes. It's, he's, he's yep. quite sort of short tempered and telling people, look, look, just go and do that. And he's very direct and stuff like that. And then he softens and has these really charming moments. So, um, but I just thought his performance in this was really, really good and quite layered. It, it, it didn't feel like, um, you know, like I said, a lot of the time that he gets described as being a bit bland. I thought, no, not at all. You watch him in this. He's uh, it's his first season. He's still finding his feet, you know, but he's very much um, hitting the mark for me as the Doctor in this. He's in control. The bits when he's with um, Todd, you know, the interaction between those two and and all this stuff and the way he's working things out and telling people what they need to do and getting cross with Adric and all that sort of stuff. He's uh, yeah. I just thought Davison gives a really layered performance in this, and I think you know if anyone's not too 
keen on his doctor whether maybe maybe this isn't the one to watch but in terms of his performance rather than story i think he's very good in this yeah i agree no he is yeah. considering this is his first his first series as well yeah he does uh he does take on the and and he's quite uh versatile i suppose throughout the story as well there are moments where he is he is having a good time you can see Mm. If anyone's saw, if anyone's watched any of the behind-the-scenes stuff for Davison over the years, you'll know that he just wasn't fond of a few stories for his era that were yeah. for him. And there were a few times where he thought, "What the hell am I doing? <laughs> you know, <laughs> what, what has my life come to?" Whereas with, with this one, whether or not he felt this, I'm not, I'm not sure whether he felt this was a great story or if he still thinks that or not a great story. I'm not sure. But there are times when you can see that he is, he is sort of on form, as you say. He's mm. he, he's really cracking on as the Doctor, and there are times where he's quite, like you said, Hartnell, like when he's snapping at Adric a couple of times, yeah. and he's quite short. And there are other times where he's having a good old laugh, like when they first meet the Mara, the Mara, when they meet the 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 Kinder Tribe, if you like, for the mm. first proper time. They uh, there's that funny little scene where. They've got like a, one of the kinder is like a kind of court jester sort of character, like a comedian sort of. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And he's having a laugh and a joke. And then, and then the doctor uh, does the coin trick that Adric had taught him earlier on. Mm. And when he does that and they all start laughing and he's into it, he's having a good old laugh. And so you can see in scenes like that, he's, he's genuinely, you can, you can tell that he's into it, mm. you know, as a doctor and stuff. So I think you're right. A lot of people that say that he's quite, he's often been with referred to as the most human of the classic doctors. Yeah. In terms of how he comes across. And like you said, a bit light and fluffy at times and, and stuff, but the more you watch uh, his performances, and I think this story as a whole as well, I, I I'm 99% sure that if you've only ever seen this the one time, your opinion will definitely change on a rewatch or multiple watches. It definitely mm. has for me. I think this is the third time that I've seen it. And my opinion is now wildly different to the first time I watched it. The first time I watched it, I was even more clueless. I was like, I have no idea <laughs> what I've just mm. watched. I've literally, because let's move on to some of the scenes that we see, which are very, very, they look very experimental from a very TV trippy. making yeah, mm. point of view, which is the whole, um, Tegan and the Mara being trapped in this kind of nightmare realm. It looks like it's very where she sort of falls into this trance, if you like, from these wind chimes and whatnot. Yeah. And, uh, and she, the way they've done it, it's very, it's actually very creepy. So very the, creepy. the first people that she comes across are this old weird couple playing drafts or chess, I think. Yeah. And the way that their makeup's been done, they just look like really like, like something out of a nightmare. It's completely, mm. Like it is very trippy, but it's also quite quite creepy as well. And the, the guy that they've they got to to play uh, was it the trickster? I think the yeah, the like character. the court jester guy. Uh, yeah, Lee Corns, I think his name was. Um, he uh, he plays that very creepy, mm. like the way he talks and the way he delivers his lines and his eyes and stuff. But the way that whole bit was lit, it was just essentially a black a, a matte black background with just one big bright studio light. And then they experimented with like different camera effects and, and whatnot. So 
you can absolutely tell that this is from an era of people from the seventies <laughs> um, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> uh, making television. But what do you think to the whole Mara Tegan thing? Cause it's, they actually kick off a bit of a loose uh, kind of relationship, I guess, between Tegan and the Mara as we go through her, her era. Cause we see them, we see this whole Tegan being involved with this again, don't we later on in snake dance and That's right, yeah. stuff like that. So what do you think to the whole Mara element of this because it was a very different vibe to the rest mm. of the, the story i love the way it was done it's, it's so incredibly simple but effective isn't it just black room but i guess i don't know what they've i don't know what makeup they've put on those poor actors to make them glow like that or if they've just shone a big light on them or i don't know how they've done it but to make them sort of look ghostly with just a black backdrop it, it sounds really well, it is really simple, but it's so effective and it's so creepy. And I'm thinking, so what was this, 1982? Yeah. That effect when the camera zooms into Tegan's eye must have looked fantastic back then, mustn't it? That must have been, because even now, yeah, okay, wicked. it's a yeah. quantum effect or whatever it is, but <laughs> even now I'm thinking, oh, what a great like way to go into her mind, to go to zoom straight into her eye in this weird sort of staggered um, visual effect that they use. I mean, I think that must have looked brilliant back in the day, and I think it still works really well now. But yeah, I love that whole. I have love that whole trippy reality that we go into. It's creepy as hell. Um, the performances from the actors is brilliant because they are just so weird and strange, and they play it so well. Tegan looks absolutely petrified. <laughs> uh, you know, um, uh, Janet Fielding's playing it really well. I hear that she loved doing this because it gave her something different to do rather than just having to ask the questions all the time. Apparently she loved to like this story in terms of giving Tegan something different to do. Uh, and she, I think she, you can tell that she really embraces like being freaked out and doing multiple, we get like a screen of multiple Tegans, don't we? Um, the only, it's weird. Cause I did watch this when I was a kid, when it first aired. So I would have been, Oh, what, uh, eight maybe or six i don't know what we was eight but um yeah so i the only thing i can remember from watching this as a kid because it freaked the hell out of me i mean i wouldn't have understood it i wouldn't have understood this story at all but um it's the bit with the snake crossing from arm to oh, arm yeah. i remember yeah. that's the only thing if you'd say to me, what do you remember about kinder as a kid that's the only bit i remember it really really freaked me out and yet you watch it now and it, it it's the effect isn't particularly good, but it still has that effect on me. It still makes me quiver. It's still creepy as hell. I just love the idea of it, like this tattoo moving from one arm to the next of a snake. And it's, yeah, again, it's just the idea behind it. I think is so unusual. It's, um, it's just really creepy. And you put that with the music as well. I have to say, I think, um, is it Peter Howe? I think the music's great in this. Very 80s, obviously. Yeah. But I think Peter Howe's score in this is really creepy. There are scenes of the mirrors and all that stuff. He's sort of using these weird sounds and, um, again, just adds to the whole atmosphere. I think the music really does help to make this quite quite scary as well. But, yeah, I love that whole, I love that whole sequence, mate. I, I really thought it worked incredibly well, especially when we come back to Tegan, you know, after she's been into that world and we come back and she's, sort of got this almost like Dana voice from Ghostbusters, isn't she? Yeah. A little bit. She's like, oh. Um, yeah, that was, again, cool. that was creepy. Yeah. yeah, it was. I don't know what they've done to make her look 
because the makeup's quite subtle, but somehow they've made her look slightly different. And I, I don't know what they've done to her, but it's yeah. very subtle, but it's just right. It was the eyes and the teeth. Eyes, yeah. Because yeah. they put this kind of red, redness on the teeth. And they also yeah. like put these big dark circles around the eyes and stuff. <laughs> but her performance is pretty good. Do you know what? When she was inside that world, that realm, whatever, mm. I wasn't too convinced with her acting for that. For some reason, I just oh, right. thought, yeah, that wasn't that strong. But when she came out and she was playing the Mara, and you know when she's got one of them up, I think she's like reaching out and she's got one round the throat. You know the guy that ends up yes. becoming the... Uh, she's really creepy and she plays that really well, I thought. Yeah. When she's, you know, back in the in the in the real world, quote unquote fourth wall stuff. But uh but yeah, the um that whole effect of the whole Mara thing was really well done. I just found it just very simple. It, like it was a very simple effect because they could have gone to town on that. They could have mm. tried to make it very otherworldly and all that stuff. But the fact that it's just all black, like there's not even any stuff, it's not even set in space, is it? There's no stars. No, and it's uh, it's really and and when the other Tegan turns up and there's two of them, the camera work is really well done. There's a bit where their hands cross over, and normally that fudges the effect because you have literally just two lots of film that you sort of merge and you sort of fudge the join down the middle. Mm. But even when their hands overlap, you don't see the join, and it's really well done. And I'm not sure if that's an effect of. Because I watched this from the Blu-ray box set, the season 19 collection. Yeah. So I'm not sure if they tidied that up and tweaked it. I can't remember from when I watched it from the old DVD days. But Oh, I don't know. But yeah, it looks I mean, really good. Yeah. I've got to give credit to Peter Grimwade, actually, the director, because although this um, is a slightly confusing story, to say the least, I think I do think it's directed well. I think if this had been in the hands of someone who perhaps because the thing is a Peter Grimway is he was apparently quite a difficult director because he was quite specific. He liked to get everything right. He wasn't just one of those of shoot and point and oh, well, that'll have to do. He was quite a stickler for detail because even the scene, you know, the zoom in of Tegan's eye, he he wasn't even happy with that because she blinked. He's like, Oh, you blinked. Mm -hmm. And I mean, who noticed I did. You know, he was that. Yeah. Oh, well, I, I did as well, actually. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. But you know what I mean? It doesn't really make any difference. But he, even stuff like that annoyed him. He liked to get it right. So I think he's taken a very difficult story to, to direct, basically. And I think he's done a very good job of it. I think if it had been in the hands of a couple of other directors that I can think of, which I won't name, but perhaps who were a little bit more basic in terms of their direction, I think this could have been a mess. I think this could have just been a complete, un, um, you know, a story that you don't understand and wasn't engaging. And, you know what I mean? He does keep it moving. And this, there are some shots that are very quickly edited. And I think it's, um, yeah, I think Peter Greenway did a very good job with this. I have to say that. I know he was perhaps difficult to work with. And I think the cast found him quite uh, a bit of a tyrant uh, on this particular story. But I think he got good results. And I think we've said that about another story he did, but I can't think what it was. Yeah, I, think I've, I think I've said that before about him. Yeah, we did. Um, yeah. And I only know this from watching the commentaries and the makings of, you know, this is not something I've just plucked out the air. I, you know, I always watch the extras on these and um, they, you know, they say that they said, you know, he was a, a good director, but he was quite tough uh, and he knew what he wanted to do. And I think, as I said, when you get a story like this, you kind of need someone like him 
in charge of it. Otherwise, it's just going to become a boring, <laughs> just <laughs> yeah. complete disaster, I think. So I think, yeah, it has to be a bit of credit given to him for that. Absolutely, yeah, I agree. And he was quite, I think he was quite keen as well to to try and push some certain things into this episode and, and into Doctor Who. So mm. uh, that effect that you mentioned with the zoom in on Tegan's eye and some other bits, that's all done with this thing called the the Quantel effects, the Quantel paint box system. That's it, yeah. Which was, uh, <laughs> which I remember reading up ages ago on this. It was really cool at the time. So it was a really good way of essentially painting in effects that wasn't, it was very difficult to do pre the Quantel thing that the BBC had um, the, the sort of uh, funded, I suppose. Um, but Doctor Who was a heavy an early adopter of all that stuff. And if you, I'll go into it now, but if you, anyone that's interested, if you do a search for Quantel paint box, it was a system that they used and uh, things like the leisure hive and mind warp and stuff. They all made oh, really yes. heavy use of like, there's a scene in mind warp where if you look at the original footage, the original plate, you've just got the TARDIS, you know, with the bottom bit of it surrounded by some sea. And then when you look at the Quantel bit over the top, it's got all the seas are bright pink and they've got a big planet in the background and it all looks very, very cool. So I think he really wanted to push some of that stuff as well. And I think that actually, yeah, like you said, potentially a detriment to what was going on on the set day to day because he was, he, like you said, he's very, very, in his mind's eye, really wanted to see things a certain way and very specific mm. on on things. So, But then again, you have to... Sometimes I know it's at the time for actors working with people like that, it probably sucks, but occasionally you need people like that to, even if other people don't like it, you need someone like that to just push these things through and, and, and push things. Otherwise, you know, you just end up with everybody saying yes to each other. Yes, that's great. That's great. Mm. So when you have someone like that, that's like, no, not happy with that. We need to go back and do it again or do something. And you do, you definitely need that. It shows it to me. It shows passion for the, what they're doing as well. Because let's face it, that effect it doesn't add anything to story. If, he, if he'd have wanted, he could have just said, "Right, we just right now we just zoom in on on uh, Janet's face." Could have just been in a zoom in on the face. He didn't need to go to all that trouble of getting this effect of going into the eye. But he wants to make good television. And uh, as as we've always said with Classic Who, we know that they had no time to do any of this stuff. So anything like this, which was time consuming, the only reason for possibly wanting to even attempt it is because you've got passion behind what you're doing. So, um, you know, that's that's why I say I, I do give him credit because scenes like that, which would have been very time consuming, um, he had to obviously book in that quantum, what's it called? Quantel. Quantel paint box. Yeah. yeah, he'd have had to, you know, he'd have had to have booked in the time slot to use it, believe it or not, back then, and all that sort of stuff. So, um, yeah, it just, it just to me shows that extra bit of um, effort in wanting to make Doctor as good as it could possibly be back in the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and he also, um, he was also really miffed as well because when they were doing their typical five day Monday to Friday studio stuff that they had at the BBC, which is nine to five, I suppose which sounds about right for back in the day. Mm. He was really miffed because they had a load of problems with cameras and lights. And uh, so back in classic Q and just television at the time, you probably noticed that whenever there's a bright light on the screen, it leaves a trail like a phosphorus trail across the screen mm. or camera glare, whatever. So apparently they had just a ton of that that was just in loads of shots because of the way it was lit and shot and stuff. 
So that really miffed them because they, they, uh, he was like, look, I've got all these cool camera shots that I want to do and I want to use this Quantel stuff. And, and, uh, but we we're having to go back and like reshoot a load of stuff and redo things because of all this camera glare and stuff. And that actually led to the snake puppet at the end because he really wanted to do a much better effect at the end, but they couldn't because they'd run out of time and stuff because all of this camera glare stuff. And that's what actually pushed them to do a six day recording block. Oh, right. So because he complained so much and he said, like, everyone's turning the lights off on a Friday. <laughs> there's, so, there's so much to do. We're going to be behind and all that lot. I think he pushed for, and some, you know, a bunch of other people at the BBC was like, yeah, he's right. Because of all of these problems, we've got no money basically for decent equipment. Um, we're running out of time, like all the time. Yeah. So Actually, from, you, yeah. Sorry, you've just reminded me as well. I'd forgotten about this. So there's also, there are some scenes in part four, which were reshoots, which were done like months later, or they were filming another story. Yeah. Um, and I can't quite remember the reason for this. I think, if I'm right in saying, parts one and two were overrunning, so stuff was cut. But then when they put them together, there wasn't, part four was underrunning or something. I can't remember. There was there was a reason for it. So if you watch, and I've never re- known this until yesterday, when I was watching it with the text commentary on the DVD. So there are scenes, um, there's a bit with Nissa and Adric, which actually now I know that it's padding. I can sort of tell they're sort of having a bit of an argument over the bomb and the set. It's like a really rehashed set. Um, and then the doctor comes in and I think the hairstyles are ever so slightly different. So Adric looks a bit different. And so they were shot like months later while they were recording a totally different story and then re-edited in. Um, and also the scenes with the big snake in the mirror. So they decided then, the, I think the writer wanted more explanation of what was actually going on. So all the shots where the Doctor's talking, holding up the mirrors, are re-shot, uh, are like extra scenes they've added in. Mm-hmm. And you can sort of tell because the back of the mirror's slightly different. I think it's just they've just quickly knocked up some fake backdrop mirrors for them to hold. And so, but again, I never, I've never noticed any of this is different or doesn't fit in properly. Um, but it's just really interesting to think, oh, so those quick... 10 to 20 second scenes of filmed months later and put back in just to make the episode better and stuff like that. So again, yeah, it's just, it's fascinating when you start looking at the behind the scenes stuff, you know, the production of it. Yeah. And there was like little things like that as well. Uh, mm. Things that you'd probably nowadays, if you were filming it, you would watch your, I think they're called dailies where you've, yeah, the, the director and producers and stuff can watch literally as soon as it's been filmed, they can watch a rough thing and they can pick out mistakes and stuff because there's a bit at the end where the, the, the mirrors are surrounding the snake the mara and mm. you can hear the doctor a couple of times shouting close up these gaps close up these there should yes. be no gaps but then when you see the 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 wide shot there's a massive gap of literally the space of one mirror because that's where the camera dolly had to go in and out of that's the circle right. <laughs> to film the snake in the middle yeah. but yeah. you know things like that i think also bugged uh, Peter Grimwade as well because mm. he was very I don't know I think he just wanted it as, to be as perfect as he could but he was just frustrated that there was no time to fix those things or to go mm. back and do it so uh, but yeah there's there's loads of little things like that uh, loads of little like simple things like when Adric and Nissa are playing drafts at the beginning outside the TARDIS the draft board is the wrong way round oh is it? yeah so that the, the, if they're going to play it properly they need to switch the board round and I didn't notice uh, that. Yeah, and there's also things like um, uh, 
when um, I think in about every other scene, I would say there's a bit where the cameraman either trips over or somebody bumps into the camera because there's camera wobble all over the place. <laughs> camera shaking, know, yeah. I know there's a bit when um, uh, what's the, what's the guy's name that was um, in the wicker. He's in the sort of wicker <laughs> basket thing. Yeah. Uh, the wicker prison or whatever it is. There's a bit where there's an explosion <laughs> and uh, it sets on fire. And it said, um, is it Adrian Mills? Is that his name? Adrian Mills, yeah. yeah, yeah. So you can, I, again, I didn't notice this, but it says it in the text and I, I noticed it. Um, so if you watch that carefully, there's obviously like an effect explosion set off in, uh, on the set. And um, the thing that Adrian Mills is in, that wicker basket, actually catches fire. So he's trying to keep going. He's like, oh, I must keep going. I must, mustn't stop. But actually, so he's holding the wicker thing up so that it's off the floor because the bottom of it's on fire. <laughs> it's just like, it's like, you know, if I could just get through this scene before this thing actually catches light to the rest of the set. So if you watch that bit when he falls backward, I thought he was just trying to stand up i didn't realize he was actually holding it trying to keep this flame off of the studio floor so the whole set doesn't go up but um yeah little bits like that as well just when you know they're there it's quite good to look out for yeah <laughs> but again yeah. you know you could just imagine him like shouting cut and rushing in with it for extinguisher well done adrian well done for keeping <laughs> going there son yeah well done the, the set lives to see another day <laughs> <laughs> there's also the scene where uh who is uh when the doctor's um, uh, quite it's one of those scenes that we mentioned where the doctor's quite concerned about um, Hindle <laughs> yeah. it's that scene where he starts really crapping himself about the plants and the trees outside and mm. the doctor's looking quite concerned this whole time that the this conversation's going on there's a crew member in the doorway on camera oh is there yeah <laughs> there's, just a, there's just somebody leaning against the doorway in a pair of jeans and a t-shirt I didn't notice that. So I'll have to go back and have a look at that. Yeah, it just cuts to him very quickly, but it happens like two or three times when they're having that talk about the trees being, you know, the doctor's like, why do you think the trees are hostile? And then, as, as, yeah, as it's going on, at first I thought, oh, it's Adric in the doorway or someone. But no, then you think, hold on, he's Adric's over there. So who's that then? And it's just a, He's wearing jeans. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, I'll have to have a look. I didn't notice that. Funny old classic who, man. See, I love looking at stuff like that. I know... I think early on when they were releasing some of the videos or maybe DVDs, they started um, going a bit too perfectionist. So, so the restoration team, who do a brilliant job, by the way, but I think they started to remove like camera booms and stuff. They yes. would digitally take yeah. them out. And then I think the fans were like, no, 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 we love stuff like that. So they sort of started leaving them in. And I was thinking, yeah, leave them in because we, we, I love to spot things like that. You know, don't, don't, start, don't start changing too much. I, mean, I love that they freshen up the pitch and they do an amazing job but uh yeah leave stuff like that in because i love looking out for it on the uh on the blu-ray set for this one yeah there's two versions of the audio track as well mm-hmm. so they've got the they've got uh, a new 5.1 surround uh track which is kind of cool but i must admit they've got this twin mono um sound on there and that just sounds so good. I mean, the 5.1 is great because it's a little bit more immersive. Yeah. But in terms of just how well they've cleaned up the audio, that, that so the default audio track, if you were watching it on that Blu-ray, you'd have to go into the menu to select the 5.1. But there's that they've got these, um, I think they've called it a twin mono track or something like that. But the way they've cleaned it up, it, it sounded great when I watched it yesterday. 
Oh, I can imagine. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know because I've only my TV's a bit basic. I don't know if I'd be able to notice it too much, but I did think the soundtrack to this sounded brilliant. I can imagine it in like, like you said, if it was all in, what did you call it? Not 5.1, but the. Yeah, 5.1 surround. 5.1, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but it does sound amazing. Yeah. Yeah, but I prefer the, the mono track, though. It just mm. seems to have a bit more of a. Because when you watch the 5.1, especially if you put it on accidentally on a stereo TV, the vo- the vocal track's really low, but the, oh. the the music and the explosions, everything's really loud. So it was great, though. I had that on the yeah. Blimmin' Star Trek original series set I've got. So they the, the default setting, whenever you press play, is always 5.1, and you can't hear it. So you turn it right up to hear what they're saying, and then Blimmin' Spock blows a rock up and your television nearly <laughs> explodes it's like oh for goodness sake. so i always had to remember to change it to mono before watching any episode on that so i, I know exactly what you mean <laughs> there's another audio track <laughs> what did you think what did you think to um what do you think to the nutty old witch person karuna she yeah, was a very she interesting. Corona. Corona. I was like Corona. Oh no, Corona. Yeah, um, so Corona, and so Corona. there was a bit of a double act with. Apparently, they. This is one other thing that's confused me until I watched it the second time. But apparently, the the younger girl, Panna, the character name was, and Karuna, uh, they end no, up. Hang on, no, no, hang on. I made this mistake. I think Karuna's the girl. It's the young girl, isn't it? Oh, is she? Yeah, you probably Yes, right, yeah. I, I made exactly the same mistake yesterday. I was like, oh, that old woman's called Corona. I was like, oh, no, she's not. It's the girl, I think. Hold on. Mary Morris. Yeah, Mary Morris is the older woman. That's it, yeah. Yep, yeah, uh, Panna. Sorry. Yeah, you're all right. And then Sarah Prince is Karuna. Um, what did you think to, to that? Because she's a very, very... They, I mean, they cast her brilliantly. She does look like this kind of ancient old... Um, I keep using the word witch, and she's not a witch, is she? She's just like this old sort of soothsayer <laughs> kind of yeah. uh, character. But um, there was almost, there was like a sort of mini storyline that ran through with those two as well. They, she seemed to be like, uh, not like the leader of this kinder tribe, but like the person you go to when you've got a cold, or like <laughs> the person if you need some wisdom, or the person if, you know, wisdom, she seemed yeah. to be channeling this whole sort of telepathicness link between the kinder, but she was like the vocalness towards the doctor and like outsiders, I suppose, but a really interesting character, but did she didn't die in the end, did she? She just went into, or did she die? And then well, she that's passed. A, that's into, a strange cliffhanger, isn't it? I, cause yeah. I thought, so there's a brilliant line just before that, when the doctor's like, it's the end of everything or something like that. And everything blows up and you think, Oh, that's the episode ending, but no, then they go up and run up and, um, they're like, oh, she is dead. Panna's dead. And then it ends. I thought, oh, that's strange. I would have ended it with it's the end of everything and the explosion. But um, I think she comes back alive, doesn't she? Well, she, well, she doesn't. She goes into a kind of yeah. trance, doesn't she? She goes yeah. into a trance where she's trying to, she's kind of trying to figure out what's going on with what's going to happen with the Mara. And then they go off and do something. They come back into the cave and the, uh, as she's coming out of the trance, I think she dies then. That's the, the cliffhanger That's to episode three, yeah. isn't it? And then what we learn in the last part is that Karuna is kind of, she takes on the spirit or the soul of Panna. She sort of inhabits Karuna right. in a sort of weird way. But it's like a mini storyline with those two because I think Karuna as well, she was the one that communicates with, what's the, the guy's name? Um 
Aris. He's the one that ends up being the the possessed Mara dude, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. Um, the over the top. <laughs> let's mm-hmm. let's speak about Aris then. Adrian Mills. There was a couple of times, mate, where he was. It was like he was fresh out of drama school. I think he was, though, wasn't he? Didn't it? Was it? Because he's like a presenter, really, isn't it? It's one of these things that Doctor Who does a lot, where they get in someone who's not really an actor to be in the show. Um, he's a radio presenter, isn't he? I think. I was going to say he yeah. used to do that's life. Do you that's life. That? That's it. Yeah, that's life. Yeah. Um, I could see he was trying very hard. <laughs> that's probably yeah. That's about the best I can, the most complimentary I can be. Really, I mean, he wasn't. I've seen worse. I've seen a lot worse, but uh, yeah. And, you know, kudos to him for saving the set from burning down. Um, yeah, he wasn't the best. He wasn't the most experienced actor. Maybe Matthew Waterhouse should have, you know, just took him to one side and <laughs> give him a couple of pointers, maybe. I don't know, but um, oh, yeah. God. He wasn't dreadful. He was all right. If you probably like- had, um, if you could, if you had a pound... If you went, if you went back and interviewed every single person that's alive today that was either starring and or working in Doctor Who when Adric was there, yeah. If you had a pound, if you and if you interviewed them honestly, and every time somebody said, "I wanted to kill Matthew Waterhouse," or "I wanted to slap Matthew Waterhouse," <laughs> you'd probably pay your mortgage off, wouldn't you? <laughs> Harsh. <laughs> you would, you would though, wouldn't you? Uh, you hear so it- many stories of. <laughs> <laughs> of, of Matthew. I mean, it's bless Matthew Waterhouse. Remember, He's we had a, a we had a great crack, didn't we? When we, he he turned up at the um one of the BFI uh, showings. Oh, of he something. was brilliant. He was he was on form, wasn't he? He was on fire. And <laughs> he was he's on really, something. Yeah, <laughs> and he's really likable when he's when he's on stage and he's being interviewed, and or you know, if you're chatting to him about you know the glory days, I suppose. Mm-hmm. He's really likable because he's got loads of great stories and anecdotes about that time. And even though he gets a bit twitchy when he keeps getting asked about Tom. So did did Tom really hate you? Did Tom want to kill you? Did Tom want to slap you? All that stuff. He gets a bit twitchy about that. But otherwise, but I, I imagine that back in the day, I mean, come on, there's a reason why so many people just don't take to Adric as a character. There's There's a reason why so many people say it. I know. You know, the thing it, is, the thing is, I I agree with you. I I I, I mean, I loved Adric as a kid because I was around about the same age as it. Well, I would have been younger, but he was sort of the young character that uh, you know that I sort of liked in the show at the time. But yeah, I mean, it, Matthew Waterhouse is a a real character in real life. I I love it when we get him on like extras for DVDs and stuff because, like you said, he's so entertaining. He says what he thinks, be it right or wrong. Um, <laughs> he um. His book, Blue Box Boy, slates Tom and Lala. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, you know, he's not afraid to speak his mind, but he, he is entertaining. And also, he's such a massive fan of the show. I mean, that's the thing. He, When he joined the cast, he probably knew more about Doctor Who <laughs> than any of them, and he wasn't afraid to tell them. Yeah. Uh, and you've got to love that. That's, yeah, absolutely, mate. <laughs> Matthew Waterhouse is a, such a likeable guy. But he, I don't know. There's just something about when he was obviously very younger starring as Adric, I don't know. There's just, oh. have you, um, have you watched the, uh, I feel like watching, um, a weekend with Waterhouse now that extra. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. He's great in that. He's with Toby Haydoke. Yeah. Brilliant. He's a cool guy. Maybe we'll, we'll invite him on. See if we can chew yeah. the, chew the fat on his era. Chew oh. the fat. He probably, wait. he's probably, first of all, he's like, you do what? 
what the podcast? No, 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 no. But second of all, he's probably answered these questions a billion times. I was going to say that would be the thing. He's yeah. probably, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, to be fair, there are a couple of stories where Adric is not too bad, to be honest with you. And one of them is, is Earthshock. I really like Adric in Earthshock. Yeah. Not for the reason of him coming to his demise, but I just think he's really good. Mm. Really good in that one. But yeah, he's in this good one, in Legopolis. Yeah. Even though I know him and Tom had a fraught relationship, but I think him and Tom were great together in, in Legopolis. Yes, they, they do. They yeah. do work well. I wish we got more stories with them together. Yeah. Mm. Uh, but anyway, sorry, Panna and Karuna. Um, yeah. That storyline was fairly good. And the way that Mary Morris plays Panna, because she's, I think she's blind. Or she's, yeah. Yeah. Uh, she plays that very well. So that was cool that we saw a little bit of an insight into the Kinder. Because. Uh, after all, the, you know, the story is about those guys and, mm. you know, it's not meant to be about the humans colonizing or or the, the Mara and stuff. It's meant to be about those guys, I suppose. But uh, that's the other thing as well. We we assume that the people there are from Earth. Uh, yeah, it's not really stated, but I assume they are, yeah. Yeah, I think so. Mm. Um, okay, and what did you think to... Um, so we've spoken about the companions. They're fairly easy. Nissa's not even in it, to be honest with you. No. Uh, Jeanette Fielding, she's, um, I found her a bit up and down in this one. Okay. Let's take it. Um, and Matthew Waterhouse, yeah, not one of his best, I would say. Not his best outing mm. for me as Adric. Spoken about um, uh, Davison. Uh, what about the the other person in this then that was kind of like a companion for the one of a better oh, phrase, yeah. which was um, Todd, played by Neris Hughes. Todd. Uh, I thought she was a good, good little character in this. I thought she was I a did. good little assistance for the Doctor. Yeah, very good. Um, worked really well with Davison as well. The the scene when they're in the cage and uh, he's like, open the box. And, you know, the Hindus go madly, open that box. And the Doctor's <laughs> like, no. And she's terrified. She, she does a great scream at the end. It's a bit of a it's a bit of a throwaway conclusion, though, in the next part, though, isn't it? Because it's uh, like yeah. it ends with the box opening a big old scream. And then the next one, it's like, oh, it's just, there's nothing in there. <laughs> so it's a bit of, oh, it's a bit of an anticlimactic uh, conclusion to that brilliant cliffhanger. But Todd, yeah, great character. Neris Hughes, um, again, uh, although she, yeah, she she did quite a lot of acting over the years, didn't she? She's best known for like the liver birds and things like that. But uh, and she does pop up in Torchwood as well, doesn't she? She does, yeah. A few years later, uh, forget the episode, something borrowed. I think something it was. borrowed. Yeah, we won't get to that until next year, but. No, Later it's on, a bit, yeah. bit of a way off. But yes, I thought she was very good. Again, um, just playing the part very, very straight, taking it seriously. And as I said, I thought she worked really well with Davidson in their scenes. They they just seemed to really click together, those two. So, yeah, nice little character, Todd. Yeah, she was good. Yeah. yeah. And she obviously, she's part of the club of classic Q actors that were in Z cars. So she's yes. part of that. Dixon Dot Green, maybe? She was, yep. Was she? Yeah. All right. <laughs> yep. So those two shows, if you were in Dixon of Dot Green or Zed Cars <laughs> from the 60s, there was a very good chance that your one of your future acting jobs would be Doctor Who. We'll see. I yep. think she should have gone with Davison, uh, joined him as, an, as another companion. It's like, yeah, come on. It's one big party in the TARDIS. Come on, we, let's have another companion. <laughs> you know, one of them might be leaving soon, but shh, come on, Todd. Come in the TARDIS. Well, maybe the Chibbers should have adopted <laughs> this for the current one. Just one episode where Yaz is like, I've got a headache. I'm going back to bed. All right, we'll see you in the next episode then. All good. 
Uh, yeah, I was going to say, poor old Nissa, she doesn't get any. Because <laughs> I think the, the reason for that is this was written, she wasn't going to be a companion, was she? It was to sort of decided late in the day and this was already written. Yeah. So they were like, oh, we haven't got anything for her to do in this one. So we'll just write her out of it, basically. Give her a yeah. headache. And, yeah. yeah. So easy day on set for um, Sarah Sutton for this one. Yeah, a lot of people assumed that, because one thing that tends to happen with classic who back in the day, cause it's shot over the best part of a year mm. is that some of the actors just literally went on holiday because they were knackered, which is really weird. Cause you have these gaps in stories where people just are just not there. <laughs> it's really weird. And, uh, but no, that didn't happen. Like you said, with, um, uh, with Nissa and Sarah Sutton, she was just, this was all written before she was cast as a companion. So I always find it strange yeah. as well. Don't you, that they sort of how flippantly they decide a character, will join the TARDIS team. So, like, you got Nissa. They obviously decided quite late in the day, oh, she's quite good, we'll keep her on. And then I'm thinking of Ace. She was, like, she was sort of already recording Dragonfire, and they're like, oh, she's pretty good, actually, because they were trying to decide whether to keep Ace or um, Ray from Dale and the Bannerman, weren't they? Oh, they were yeah. going to keep one yeah. of those as the new companion. And it's like, they'd sort of film in their episodes while they're still making that decision. And it's like, yeah, we'll keep Ace on. And she's already sort of, you know, oh, by the way, do you want to be the new companion? Even though she's like been commissioned for like one script, she's gone from that to suddenly being the companion in such a short space of time. It's kind of like, I kind of like it though. It's kind of like, yeah, we're making a show. Oh, she's pretty good. Let's keep her on. And, you know, the sort of planning back then was much more freestyle, wasn't it? It's just like, yeah, she's pretty good. Let's have her as a companion for a while. You know, cool. what are you doing next week? Can you film a whole series? Good. Let's have you. You know, it's just so, so, so loose. I love it. Delta and the Bannermen. Delta and the Bannermen. If you want to hear Adam and I just... <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the only show where we've literally lost it for a good chunk of time. Just yeah. belly up laughing so much we can't even talk. <laughs> um, I can't remember why now. It was, so, it was something so silly, but yeah. <laughs> Yeah, mm. I think I can't. I can't remember it was ages ago we reviewed that. But Something go on to, to do the, with Mel. Yeah, yeah. Go, oh yeah, it was Mel. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Just go on to the website and search for Delta and the Bannerman. It's um, you know, we just lose it. <laughs> it's funny. Um, uh, yes, 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 yes. Um, what were we saying? Um, Nissa. Yeah. Uh, it was. It, yeah, it was kind of clever that they wrote it that way because some actors would have got the hump. Some actors would have been like, I don't think so. I'm mm. not going to sideline me for an entire story i'm just going to pop up at the end as a cameo or the beginning and the end as a cameo so she was cool i think she did say if memory serves she did say well you can write that into the contract i want to be paid for that oh right okay yeah Yeah. so she wasn't she didn't just do it as a freebie but yeah i wouldn't have thought so no uh so we've spoken about so a little bit more then just very quickly about sanders and hindle because richard todd who played sanders was his best work in this episode was when he was loopy because anyone can they back at this time coming out of the seventies into the eighties still, even at this time they would have had a hundred actors who they could have picked to play that sort of very old English proper um, army background kind of proper sort of Sergeant Majorish type of character. But what's great about Richard Todd is when he, when he is crackers, when he comes back from, from being out in the forest and stuff, He's just brilliant. You can tell he's just not, he's away with the fairies. He's brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, I think him and uh, Hindle, they, they work really well together when they're both completely balmy. Like just being, <laughs> you can see the sort of 
the sort of frustration of the fifth doctor being trapped in a room with him because he's just like, oh god, these guys, <laughs> they're nuts. I've got to get out of here, or I'm going to end up going nuts myself. Um, they're, they're great together, aren't they? I they think are. they're really good yeah. fun. I mean, they they're just Hindle's obviously taking it to eleven. He's gone completely <laughs> Ralph, bonkers. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but Sanders is just uh, he's just bordering. Yeah, on the on the insane. But they they are yeah they are great to go. It's it's really nice as well. I love this idea of they open the box and they see the calm and then and it's the box that takes them back to being normal again and calm. I thought that was a lovely idea. Yeah. Um, but that's a great scene when they're both walking out together at the end, isn't it? And they're back to being normal again. Yeah, well, it's a nice journey for them really because at the beginning of the story, you can tell that they they clash. Yes, because yeah, I think right, yeah. uh, Hinder wants to make a complaint in the log. I want to make it known. He's got that, it, hasn't he? He's got it in his arm. He's ready. Yeah. yeah. I was like, I want to make it known that I'm like all the rest of it. And mm. then at the end, when they're walking along, they're like, so we, we're going to have to document this, you know, as part of manual section, whatever. Mm. And Sanders is like, well, I don't read the manual. It's, you know, we don't have to worry about it. And they have a little smile and walk off. And yeah. So it's a, it's a good sort of full circle uh, in terms of characters for those two, which is cool. Apparently, they wanted to do it arm in arm. And, um, they wouldn't let them in the rehearsal. They were like, should we, we should be arm in arm and all buddy. And they were like, no, 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 too much, too much. Yeah. But actually that's the thing. I, whenever we go to conventions or, or listen to interviews, I don't know if you've picked up on this, but the, the actors from this era of Dr. Who always talk about the importance of rehearsal and how they had like, you know, two weeks before the show, they got to rehearse together. They got to know each other. So the interaction is always good. And I always think that really comes across when you get characters like Sanders and Todd, they've, they've tried things out in rehearsal, got to know what works and doesn't work. And in conventions, when we hear them talk about that, they say about, I've heard this a few times now, they say about, Oh, when television's made totally differently now, they don't rehearse. It's just, shoot it's like script and shoot you, you just literally look at your lines say them and it's you know so there's no sort of chance to get to really rehearse with your fellow actor or anything and i think i wonder when that decision was made and why they do it like that because for me so much a classic who you can tell that the actors of you know that chemistry has built through the rehearsal i think little scenes come out of the rehearsals you know, that, that end up in the show. And I think, yeah, have you noticed that? A couple of times, like, actors have spoke about this when we've been at conventions. They're like, talk about how important rehearsal was and how they don't do it in television now. They just don't make television that way. And I think, I wonder why. Yeah, I think it's to do with money. Could be. Time and money. They, they do rehearse to, an, to a degree. Hmm. So what you see now, so if you look at any of the special features on modern Doctor Who, you'll see that they have this thing called the table read through. So that gives them an, a, that, so they get all the actors who are going to be in that episode around the big old table yeah. at, at some office somewhere with a bunch of producers and visual effects people and costume designers. And they basically read through the script around the table, but that's not a rehearsal as such. That's just to see if there's any problems with the script that might come out of that. And then they, the only time they get to rehearse is on set during that day where because everybody's setting up the set dress you know set designers and cameramen and lighting and all that stuff while they're doing that the director goes through spends a little while going through what they're going to do but they don't actually have a big so i think what the classic guys used to get like you said is they get that nice block of time a week or two weeks before they start shooting where they run through it all multiple times from beginning to end a bit like a play when you go and see a play 
or a theatre production, that's all been rehearsed loads and loads so that by the time opening night comes around, everybody knows exactly where to go, what to say, all that stuff. So modern TV, I think, um, I think because actors must be paid, obviously, with their contract must be from X date to X date. And it's down to the people who manage the show to get them to do that within those dates, I suppose. Mm. So if they're going to add on another two weeks or rehearsal time before every time they do a show, that's a lot of money to pay actors. Yeah, especially what they're paid now. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. So I think on the day, the director says, right, you're going to come in, you're going to do that, you're going to do that, you already know your lines. I want The camera's going to be this way, so face that way and do that. So I think they run through it quite quickly. Yeah, it's a much more clinical way of doing it, isn't it? I just think it's um I don't know, I just I just love it when you see and hear on like the the DVD extras about, you know, you got like John Leeson running around on the floor at the Acton studio rehearsal room being canine and you've got like Michael Wisher with a wearing a, you know, a bandana across his eyes trying to get into character of Davros and you think, "Oh, this is wonderful to think of them like going through the episode as a whole play." You know, and they sort of would map out the floor in the in the rehearsal studio room, wouldn't they? And put like a oh, the door would be here, and they sort of worked it all out. Like you said, it's it's um, it's just a totally different era, isn't it? It's just a totally different way of doing it. But I always think that when I'm watching Classic Hero, I just think you can tell that the actors have got to know each other a bit before it yeah. feels less clinical. It feels much more um natural in some ways. I think it does feel more like a play. I know what you it mean, but. Um, but there's the charm to that, I think. I just think it really yeah. comes across on screen. Yeah. And also mm. it was easier for them to rehearse back in the day because if you think about how most of classic Doctor Who is shot, it's generally a static set with them standing around. We don't get much in the way of fast-moving camera stuff, do we, in classic Who? No, so no, that's true. the actual set and the way that the actors would stand and how they would their limited movement around the set was probably very easy to emulate in a rehearsal room mm. a week before. So it, you almost got that one-on-one, like this is pretty much how it's going to be shot on the day. So we yeah. can mimic that. Whereas if you look at something like David Tennant hanging on wires in front of a green screen, you know, he's ready to shoot his shot when he's diving from a ship to break through a glass window or a glass ceiling. That's probably very difficult to mm. to rehearse, I suppose, but... Very true. Yeah. I just see all the little moments that you get at rehearsal, like the scene of like the Doctor and Jamie when they accidentally hold hands in tomb and they suddenly realise, oh, get off. <laughs> all those little moments that they'd sort of tried in rehearsal. I said, oh, that's quite funny. We'll do that. Um, but then the other other side of that is in rehearsals, you'd get like Tom Baker saying, hang on, I just want to put this line in here. And they're like, oh, Tom, just stick to the script. No, I'm putting this in. And, you know, so, but but it did bring out moments on screen, I think, that you wouldn't have got um, without the rehearsal, I think, in classical. There are little moments that were just, they tried things, that works, that doesn't work, let's try this. Oh, can we put this in, you know, yeah. so, yeah. I think McCoy's commented on that a couple of times as well. Yes. Like, I think yeah. he said that a few things that came out of rehearsal, were just solid gold because without that, without that rehearsal time, they wouldn't have had those wonderful little moments that they would have used in the recording of the actual show. Yeah, it exactly. would have been cool. It would, would have been great, dude, to go back if we had a real TARDIS to go back and watch all of those rehearsals. Oh yeah, wowzers, yeah. I think they did do that. What there is? Oh, I can't remember now. There is a famous story I think of the BBC sort of bringing in some people to watch 
something being rehearsed, but I can't remember what happened. Uh, I, it'll, I'll have to do it on another podcast. I have to find out what it was. I think it was sort of, it might have been like Earthshock or something. They were like, oh, they can't, no, they can't come in because they didn't want to see the Cybermen. So they sort of pushed them through. I, I can't remember, but they did. I think they used to have like days where you could just sort of go in and have a quick peek at, at like, um, or maybe I'm thinking of studio recordings rather than rehearsal. I'm not sure. Okay. Yeah, stuff like that. But yeah, it would be amazing, wouldn't it? Imagine just sitting in the and watching like talons of Wen Chiang being rehearsed. You know those famous uh, scenes that we've got on the extras where yes. they've got like yeah. um, who's it who played Mister Sin? You got him rehearsing with Tom, haven't you? Was well, some in some wonderful behind the scenes footage of the rehearsal studio footage um, or the acting. Was it uh, Deep Roy? Deep Roy, yeah, you know, yeah, the, you know yeah. the cliff I mean. There's yeah, like yeah. a scene of them rehearsing at Acton Studios mm-hmm. and stuff, and yeah, it's amazing to be, to think to you could watch that. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and just lastly, did you like the? You know, you mentioned the guy in the big wicker sort of suit that kind of yeah. emulated the actual robotic suit that they had. See, was- I like the rig body r- robotic suit. I think this idea of controlling it with your mind is is fantastic. What a great idea. Um, Oh, yeah, I just love it when uh, Adric um, uh, activates it and he's like, oh, for <laughs> good, then they end up getting like frog march back by it. That's hilarious. Yeah. But yeah, I think that's really good. I like the fact that um, Sanders is inside it going crazy as well. I thought that was a good scene. Yeah, the TSS, <laughs> Total Survival Suit. Total Survival Suit. Yeah, I must get one of them. Yeah. <laughs> it reminded me of the War Machines. War Machines? Like the design of it has got that kind of... Slopey, oh right yeah. Kind of, yeah 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 i hadn't thought of that it's a cool, yeah it's a more condensed version of it yeah the cool prop though looked pretty cool it did yeah i, I did think it, it works very well yeah bit of money on that <laughs> right anything else you want to mention bud no the or only scores. other thing i got in my notes is that k9 gets a mention which i'd completely forgotten about like the doctor mentions him at the start and i just thought that was a nice little oh yeah little heart back uh it's just nice to hear the fifth doctor mentioning k9 i thought um but no, yeah, no, I've looked at my notes and I think I've pretty much gone through it all, actually, to be honest. Right, yeah. right, okay. So now you've got to pick one of those three <sighs> scores. Yeah, I think it's me to go first. Yeah, go on, you go so. first. Okay. Um, oh, man. First of all, tell us what the three scores are. Okay, so I had a four. Oh! <laughs> I had a four, I had a seven, then I had a five, and then a six. So... Right. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Well, you need to go somewhere in the middle, I suppose. I'm going to give this. I'm going to give this a six. A six. Yeah, I was going to say from yeah. the scores you've just said, I think yeah, that's about right for you because that's about middle of your scores, isn't it? Yeah, I think yeah, I'm give it a six because I do appreciate the just the very deep script and the story and mm-hmm. and all that stuff. Um. But I do, I will be honest, I do find this one a tad bit boring. Okay, yes, fair enough. To a, to a degree. However, I do appreciate the uh, the innovation of what they were trying to do with certain things and, and all that lot. So, yeah, I'll go over six. Okay. Um, well, that's fair enough. I, I enjoyed it a lot more than I was expecting. Um, I'm slightly worried that my score's too high. So I've I've written eight. But I don't really think, see, eight to me is a real, it's like sort of one of my best, you know, if something's really good, I give it an eight. So I'm thinking, should I go 7.5? Because it's not, it's not one of the best stories, but I really enjoyed it. Um, so I'm a bit stuck as well. 
it is things, an odd one. Uh, things that have been a 7.5 for you are things like the Macra Terror. Um, mm-hmm. You gave that a 7.5. Um, things like uh, the Mask of Mandragora, you gave it a 7.5 the Shakespeare code that, you know, that kind of story, I suppose the image of Fendel, you gave a 7.5. Um, yeah. Do you know, I, I'm going to, for once I'm going to stick this. I wrote eight when it finished. I'm going to stick with it. You're going to stick with eight, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, it probably should be a 7.9, but uh, as we don't do that, I'm going to go with an eight because I, I did really enjoy it. So it was very good. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah. I'll stick with that. I'll stick with it. That's what I wrote. Right. <laughs> Six from me and eight from him then. Okay, yeah. Cool. All right. <laughs> Uh, right, you guys went absolutely berserk with the audio reviews. Great, love it. So thank you so much, guys. We're going to crack straight on with these. So first up, this is Ian Stevens. Hi, Ian from France here. So, Kinder surprised me, and that's for sure. I remember hating this when I was younger, but I have to say, I had a blast this time around. I think I just didn't get it then. Oh, look at me, Mommy. I've grown. Tonally, this is fascinating, invoking cinema as much as any who ever has. Here we have Bergman influences in the black and white sequences, and a distinctly one flew over the cuckoo nest vibe throughout. The demented performance of Simon Rouse's Hindle was just brilliant and again evoked the movies. Jack Nicholson in The Shining, perhaps. He genuinely seemed unhinged. The cliffhangers are some of the best I can remember, especially episode one. I have the power of life and death over all of you. Manic, crazed stuff. Tegan was never better than here and it's good to see her used so effectively rather than as a whinger simply complaining constantly. I mentioned the tone, which is deliberately odd and off kilter throughout. But there's humour to be found too. I laughed out loud when they started referring to the Doctor as idiot. Proper funny. Any gripes? Well, maybe this is the start of Adric being a bit of a D. But other than that, it's hard to find fault. Even the ending was great. Using the mirrors, a pretty inventive conclusion. Even if the snake was about as convincing as a Jean-Claude Van Damme love scene. Really strong this. Eight rubbery serpents out of ten. Alors, c'est Sufi. Je parti. A bientôt, mes amis, et fait attention de le serpent. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> oh, hang on, we've only just got ahead round the, the first bit. Yeah, he's added a couple of bits on the end there. Oh, he's, he's keeping us on our toes, I like it. Uh, Ian. Thank you very much, Jay. That's a good score as well. It is a good score, and I'd forgotten about the idiot bit. That made me laugh as well. Ah, the idiot. idiot. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, nice one, Ian. Thanks for that, buddy. Uh, next up, a regular reviewer from Down Under, Sammy Satine. Hey Gary and Adam, Sammy Satine here. So kinda. This is weird. I don't know what to make of these stories about the Mara. I've never really liked them. I've got to say, this writer obviously realised that there were too many companions, so Nissa gets to sleep in the TARDIS for the entire story. I'm not sure what to rate this one. I really just find it baffling. Also a bit boring. I know Adam the Ultimate Hervian likes this one. I'm glad someone does. Take care. Wash those hands. Stay home. See ya. Thank you, Sammy. Thank you, Sammy. Yeah, it's a weird one to a degree. It is. I think a lot of people would use the word weird. Mm. Yes. But thank you anyway, dude. <laughs> dude. Thank you anyway, <laughs> Sammy. <laughs> Hope you're keeping well. Right, moving on. This is George, buddy. 
So yes, uh, Kinder. Um, it's got a lot of interesting concepts. Um, maybe too much for one story, but nevertheless, I still really like it. I think the Kinder tribe are really well realised, being a good balance of primitive yet sophisticated. Um, I think the Mara are quite sinister in the early parts um, when they're torturing Tegan with the creepy mind games. That, that's quite creepy actually. But in the later parts, I think they do lose a bit of their menace and. I mean, their motives aren't really that explained. Um, Peter Davison um, is great as the fifth doctor. Um, and I think he works really well with um, Todd, the female scientist. I think she would have made a really good companion to Peter Davison's fifth doctor. The actual companions, though, I mean, they really have not much to do here. I mean, Tegan gets a bit to do in the early parts, but... Adric doesn't get much to do, and this is just in bed for the whole story. Um, I did enjoy this one, though. It's one of my favourite Peace Davison stories, I think. So I'll give Kinder an 8.5 out of 10. 8.5. 8.5, yes, George. Nice one. Nice one, George. Thank you very much. Mm. Uh, this is uh, Next one is a first-time reviewer. Oh, I love a first-timer. A first-timer. So everybody give some love to uh, Seb Lane. Hello, Gary and Adam. This is my first audio review that I've ever sent in. So, <laughs> Kinder. Oh, what do I have to say about Kinder? I really enjoyed Kinder. Um, there was a big lack of Nissa, which was a shame, really, because um, Nissa isn't one of my favourite companions. So that's a bit um, odd to enjoy a story without her, really. Um, I thought Peter Davidson was great, um, and that considering the budget, it was a very enjoyable story. Although I do saying that, I do think the um, the machines that Adric was put in at the um, part four. They were quite impressive. Um, there was a character called uh, Panna, she was very good and powerful. And there was a character called Karuna, which sounds like Corona, so that's quite funny. Um, but yeah, Sidecast are on top form. It's got some great concepts in there, and I really enjoyed Kinder as a story. I'd give it a 7.5 out of 10. See ya! Nice one, Temple. I'm glad. I'm glad uh, Mr. Sebling managed to send that in because he was messaging me the week saying he was having trouble and he was worried he was going to miss a review, so. I'm glad. I'm glad it made it through the vortex all the way into our yes, yeah, soundbite machine. Yeah, uh, I think it was Seb that um, uh, said that on our Discord. Was it Seb? Uh, Probably. I think it was. Yeah, he said he's having trouble emailing it through. So I'm glad you got that through, Seb, and welcome aboard as a as an audio review. It's glad uh, glad to have you on board. Moving on, this is Mr. Martin Arnold. Hey everybody, hope you're all taking care and staying safe. Kinder, an episode that as a kid freaked me out. Um, it really did. It's the weird effects. Um, look a bit, you know, tame by today's standards, but the weird effects, this dreamy quality, the wind chimes, um, the whole vision of the past and this weird spiritual edge that the story has, this, this ancient civilization that periodically gets destroyed by the Mara, I assume. Um, all based on a kind of Buddhist cosmology, which gives it this edge, which always managed to, you know, get me behind the sofa. Not so much these days, of course. Um, I like it. I think uh, Hindle is really interesting. There's a real humid tension when he's on screen because you never know where he's going to go. I thought his portrayal was really convincing. It's not silly. Um, it's done very well. Um, the only problem with it, Aris isn't really much of a threat. And it just comes across as a bit, bit tame. But the Mara, you know, with the special effects version, is, is done pretty well. So I like it. Snake Dance is the better one. But this is a solid 7 out of 10. Cheers and take care. 7. 7. Interesting that um, I think Snake Dance is the better one. Because I 
I don't know if you have. Do you ever ask scores for snake dance by any chance? I do. Yes. So I, I remember. I think I enjoyed this a lot more. But snake dance was back. It was the last one of the last ones, wasn't it? Uh, series twenty. Um, series twenty. Hold on. One nine seven. We gave it. We gave it. I gave that a six point five. So I mm. liked that point five more, and you gave it a seven point five. Oh really? Gosh, I liked it more than I remember. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Okay. Yeah, but a seven from Martin. Eh? It's a decent score. Yes, decent. Indeedy. Yeah. Thank you very much, Martin. Hope you're doing well. Uh, moving on. This is one of our writers. This is Maria Kalitacho. Hey. Hi, Gary and Adam. It's Maria, and I'm really pleased that you're reviewing um, Kinder this week. Um, It's one of my favourite stories from season 19. There are so many top-notch performances in this. Um, You've got Simon Rouse, um, who plays Hindle really well, and who you see gradually descending into a nervous breakdown. Um, You've got Richard Todd, who was um, a well-known actor, who played um, lots of different shades to Sanders. You've got Neris Hughes, who plays Todd, and I really love her pairing with the Doctor. Um, You've got um, only Tegan and Adric in this story, which I think works really well. Um, Janet Fielding is just brilliant when she's um, possessed by the Mara, and all the stuff in the Dark Void is really creepy. Um, You've got... um, the really gentle um, kinder people and I love the fact that they um, are telepathic and I love the way that's um, kind of incorporated into the story with Hindle as well. Um, I just love this story. Yes, you've got a big plastic snake um, at the end, but the ideas in this are superb. The performances are really good and it's just got a really good atmosphere about it. Nine and a half out of ten for me. Fantastic. Nine and a half. Wowzers. Maria loving it. Thanks, Maria. Maria loving it, yeah. That's really cool. Um, yeah, and Maria's, um, she's one of the NHS workers, so she's uh, she needs a lot of uh, love and support at the minute. So hope you're doing all right, Maria. Take care, Maria. Yes, and uh, a 9.5. That's cool. Uh, moving on. This is Mr. Craig Bryce. Hi, guys. Hope you're both well. So, Kinder, what do I think of this one? This is a, pa- a favourite of mine, a personal favourite um, from the Peter Davison era. Probably one of my favourites from the whole of Doctor Who in general, actually. I think the writing is absolutely brilliant, well ahead of its time. Uh, the performances from everybody involved are absolutely fantastic, especially Simon Rouse's Hindle. He was a standout star of the whole story for me, but everyone was brilliant. Um, I think the way it was filmed was fantastic, especially the dream sequence with Tegan. That was haunting. That was really, really good stuff. Um... The only downside for me, the sets are a bit dated. I mean, they could have gone on location and filmed it, but it's no big deal. I'm surprised Stephen Moffat didn't uh, tackle this one, actually, in his era, the Kinder, because I know this is actually one of his favourite stories. I mean, the Mara, it's his cup of tea, really. Uh, All in all, 9 out of 10 for me, a favourite, absolutely brilliant. Cheers, guys. Speak to you next week. Bye. Mm, I didn't know it was a mothball favourite. Yeah, I didn't didn't realise it was his cup of tea either. Right. Mind you, I can imagine. Yeah, is this? Yeah, I can imagine him doing something good with the Mara. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, another nine. Was that a well, nine or nine point five? Yeah. Yeah, nice one, Craig. A lot of love for Kinder. This is really surprising. I know. Yeah. I don't know why it's surprising. I just it's just one of those stories that I just didn't realise would be as 
Oh, I thought it'd be yeah. more divided. I'll be honest with you. I thought it's yeah. a bit of an odd one. Yeah. Okay, we've got a couple more. First up, this is Alex Kingdom. Hello, Gary Adam of the Big Blue Box Podcast. How are you all doing? After two lovely weeks of being all positive and all that, we get to Kinder. Oh, I wish it was a Kinder egg and not this episode. I mean, what is going on? This was the first Peter Davison story I watched, and I struggled to enjoy it. Uh, oh, oh, it's just... I mean, Davison's great, fine, but it's got... It's just the cast, they're all bad, it's boring, nothing really happens, I just get annoyed. Five out of ten. I'm sorry this is so short as well, I don't even want to talk about it. To be honest, it's not one of, it's not my least favourite David. Well, actually, yeah. <laughs> Do you know what? Yes, it is. It's my least favourite Peter Davison story of his era. <laughs> without question. I will watch um what's the one? Uh the not it's not the underwater menace, the one with uh, the Silurians and the Sea Devils. That which is also considered to be one of his worst as well. I will watch that over this any day. I'll even watch Fort of Doomsday over this. Um <laughs> just not good form here, guys. Uh sorry about being negative again. And I'll see you guys soon with hopefully a much more positive review of uh, Torture next week with uh, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. I think it's that. If not, I'm sorry I'm wrong. But I'll see you guys soon. Take care. All the best. Stay safe. And I'll see you guys soon. Bye-bye. <laughs> Mr. Negative Alex. I spoke too soon. Yeah, I know. Uh, God, blimey, governor. Yeah, but that's uh, it's your opinion, though, dude. And it's all good. So you're not a fan. Not a fan at all. He's won the quiz two weeks running, that boy. You know the virtual quiz that I was on about earlier? Oh, yeah, yeah. He keeps winning it. Well, he's, he's a bit of a dude, Alex. we have to have a kinder round, yeah. knock him off his perch. Yeah, bloody kinder. <laughs> Prefers four to doomsday. Crikey. Blimey. Right, well, thank you very much to Alex. And lastly, this is Mr. Matt Steele. Hello, Gary and Adam. Matt Steele here again. Hope you guys are well. Having a good week. So this week, Kinder. Yeah, I thought Matthew Waterhouse's acting leaves much to be desired in this story. I won't say any more than that. The story has an intriguing concept with humans exploring a foreign world and studying its inhabitants. I like how they portray Tegan's dream sequences. It gives off a creepy vibe with its different illusions and effects. Simon Rouse's performance of Hindle is so unbearably irritating that you want to slap him round the chops at certain points. The companions seem a little underused in this story, especially Nyssa, who's not even in it. A decent story, filled with telepathy, evil snakes, and a big dose of questionable acting. It's fun nevertheless, though, so I give it 6.5 out of 10. Cheers, guys. I'll see you next week. 6.5. Yeah, cheers, Matt. Not loving it, Matt. Yeah. He wants to give one of the actors a, a shot across the chops. <laughs> Crikey. Uh, but that's the audio review. So thank you so much, guys. You really went to town this week. We had loads of them. So thank you very much for, uh, for taking the time to do that. Very, very cool. Uh, I'm going to rattle through a bunch of the social ones that we had through. First of all, though, we had a review through on email. This is from Blair Donnelly. Uh, although I'm not the biggest Fifth Doctor fan, I don't mind this episode. The Doctor was good in it. And I like the British colonization of primitive theme. Funny how you view things as a young kid. As a kid, I found the dream sequence was scary, and Adric was one, Adric was one of my favourite companions. Now, as an adult, I don't like it, and I realise just how annoying Adric is, uh, in brackets, but I still have a soft spot. He's uh, getting a lot of... Uh... <laughs> uh, overall, it's a good one. Uh, it's a good watch, and I like how they called back to this story in Snake Dance, a 7 out of 10. Mm-hmm. Over on Twitter... 
Jordan Shortman, another one of our writers, says, love this story. I still don't understand it too much, but love the mystery surrounding the Mara. Shameless, it doesn't get anything to do, but as Tegan is my favourite companion ever, it's great to see her front and centre with Jeanette Fielding having a blast. Just a great story. Yeah. Davros1736. Not one I liked as a kid, but have to admit have enjoyed more on subsequent watches. As a dark vein running through it and strong performances. Not a classic, but a good one. 7.5. John Griffiths. Loved it. Graphically, an unintentional mix of Bowie's Ashes to Ashes video. Blazing effect. Old Grey Whistle Test. Intro with the star auras and the weirdness of the prisoner. Mm. Eight manic hindles out of ten. (laughs) Says Adric bloody annoying. (laughs) Oh, Uh, uh, the uh, the universe of who sorry says my personal favorite of the davison era and Mm. one of the only 10 out of 10 stories from his era for me 10 out of 10 yeah it's wonderfully kooky with a terrific monster and some really horrific dreamlike sequences sarah louise baggett the run baggett the running whovian always running Always running. Always running, Sarah. Uh, On first watch, I struggled to maintain interest, so I revisited it yesterday and focused. (laughs) This story has many layers, and the second watch allowed me to understand and appreciate them. Neris Hughes was great as Todd, and I would have loved to have seen her accompany the Doctor on more adventures. Seven out of ten. Decent score, Sarah. Thank you. Edward Gillooly, a strange but enjoyable story. Tegan appears in, uh, in New Romantics music video. (laughs) And Nissa is removed from the story in a silly way at the start, as there's nothing for her to do. Hindle is a has a memorable breakdown, uh, and uh, two Kinder women are cool. Uh, Seven point five from Edward. Caitlin Dalek, yeah, Caitlin Dalek one hundred says it's great. I like how the story sort of introduces Todd as the story's companion for a while. And was really likable. The scenes with the Mara inside Tegan's head were really creepy. Hindle is a great character and reminds me of Packer from Invasion. Mm. Eight idiots out of ten. Dan Pin says, wow, it's trippy. A great performance from Davo. He's on top form. Uh, It works really well pairing his youthful doctor with a more mature companion like Todd. How good is the supporting cast led by Neris Hughes? One of the best 80s adventures, a nine out of ten. Mm. And lastly on Twitter, um, Lost on Gallifrey podcast. Uh, these two chaps have got a really cool podcast, by the way. Uh, go and check those guys out. Uh, they say eight out of ten. Uh, love this one. Great, different type of story and one of the best ever guest performances with Simon Rouse as Hindle. It doesn't get talked about enough. Mm. Uh, that's it on Twitter. And then a few on Facebook. We had... Um, Charlie Turner says an overrated one, not a mess of a story, but I've seen better ones than this. It's also the weirdest story to date. The idea behind the Mara is nice, but I'm surprised that the black and white sequences didn't make me throw up. Oh, uh, gave, gave it a five. Uh, Joseph Howarth, an incredible story. You can really feel the Hindle is insane just from the way he acts. The walk, uh, the way he talks is very well done. The only things I have against this story is the fact that the snake is an inflatable snake. Um, Tegan's possessed acting is more on the side of drunk, uh, which doesn't help the <laughs> case. And Aris is, well, he's just bad at acting possessed and he's not even good at acting uh, as a believable character anyway. Plus, I have a voice line really great in after a while. Um, anyway, aside from all that, Josie gives it a nine out of ten. And not, okay, yeah. right. <laughs> uh, Jeff Waddle says, while not being a big fan of Davison's era, this is undoubtedly a classic. 
Creepy at times, very adult in theme and cracking acting all round. Gives it a 9 out of 10. Mm. Millie McKenzie, the first two episodes, totally drew me in. They were full of intrigue, weirdness and compelling story and fantastic acting, particularly from the supporting cast. Right up until What's in the Box, then unfortunately remaining two episodes fell a bit flat. But she goes on to give it an 8 out of 10. And lastly, Kevin Mullin says, superior storytelling, sometimes confusing but always interesting. Um... Uh, there is a real sense of unease and danger in Rouse's portrayal of Hindle. Neris Hughes and Richard Todd equally excellent in their respective roles. I've said it before, I'm not a big fan of Davison, but there is no denying this is a classic. Eight rubber snakes out of ten. <laughs> that snake. That bloody snake, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, do you know what, dude? A lot of love for Kinder. I'm really surprised. Yeah, this. I am too, actually. Yeah, I'm surprised um, how much I liked it myself. I'm surprised how much love it's got, but that's uh, that's really nice. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I'm just really, for some reason in my head, I just thought that this would get slayed by everybody. But there we go. I thought it was going to be more of a mixed bag. I'll be honest with you. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So there we go. There's all of our reviews from our some of our wonderful listeners. Thank you so much, guys, for um, taking the time to do all that. Next week, bud, we're back to Tortured. What we got? So, yeah, back to Tortured next week. We're finally moving on to Series 2 with Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Yeah, so this is the start of Series 2. So hopefully, so we had a bit of an up and down journey with series one of Torchwood, didn't we? So we did. um, we'll see what series two serves up. So looking forward to, to cracking on with that. And um, Torchwood is on iPlayer now, so everybody can watch that and get your reviews in for next week. Um, so yeah, uh, I think we're going to do there, bud, for uh, 264. All righty. you thank you thank you so much to everybody that has listened to the show this week and continues to listen it's great to have you all on board and thank you so much to our audio reviewers for taking the time to do that and also all of our review reviewers that just pop up on twitter and facebook love reading your your guys stuff out it's the best part of the show adam and i say that all the time love, it. love hearing from you guys next week as adam said it's torchwood kiss kiss bang bang so get your dvds or your blu-rays or iplayer fired up because we'll be asking for your thoughts next week for that as always in the meantime head over to the website bigblueboxpodcast.co.uk you can listen to all of our shows on there plus you can link off to the various social networks and podcast apps and if you'd like to subscribe to the show we'd love to have you as a a subscriber that way you don't miss a show and it goes out every Friday morning and if you have a minute uh, or two just to leave a quick uh, review and a rating that would be awesome because that helps us out you can do that on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser or Stitcher, any of those sorts of networks. We'd love to love to have that from you guys. Uh, as I said, we're on the socials as well, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Hit us up over there. We chat plenty of Doctor Who during the week, so get involved over there. We've got a Discord server as well. The link is on the website. Come and hang out and chat Doctor Who there. And go and check out my co-host's YouTube channel, The Geek's the Handbag. The Geek's Handbag. The Geek's Handbag, over on YouTube. Loads of cool videos there. I say it every week. It's, mm. it's completely... 100% true. I'm not saying that because I'm friends with Adam and we record together and all that stuff. The Geek's Handbag is a brilliant YouTube channel. Grab a cup of tea and go and check out a ton of videos there. Some great stuff. Very and kind. Adam is on the socials as well under the same name, The Geek's Handbag. Uh, so connect over there as well. Uh, so we can all chat Doctor Who. 
Uh, until next week, uh, take care of yourselves. Stay home or stay indoors or whatever. Uh, just stay healthy because uh, we want you guys back listening and reviewing the show for us and all that stuff. So please take care of yourselves and stay safe. Uh, until then, my name's Gary. My name's Adam. And remember... Uh, and...